Welcome to Culture Conversations, a podcast that helps disciples make disciples in today's world. I'm Chris Moran, host of Culture Conversations, and today you'll be hearing from Eddie Jones, one of the pastoral elders of Eternal City Church. Eddie talks about his early childhood, his conversion, his struggle with same-sex attraction, and how he has found victory in that area. He talks about ethnic tension in the church and in the culture, and how Christians can be unified surrounding ethnic diversity and unity in the church. I trust you'll be encouraged. All right, I am here in the, is this the living room or dining room? <laughs> dining room. I'm in the dining room of Eddie Jones, the great, high, and mighty bishop of Wilkinsburg. Stop. <laughs> Can we can we W Grandmaster Bishop? <laughs> no, you cannot. Grandmaster Flash, Grandmaster Bishop. <laughs> Come on, man. No Grandmaster. All right. No Grandmaster. All right. <laughs> the Flash would be disappointed. <laughs> okay. So, Eddie, I was hoping that you would be willing to share your story starting from a young age. Mm-hmm. Um, tell us where you grew up, what your family life was like, how you uh, got introduced to God, uh, how you first came to faith, and what that all was like. What was the experience like? Uh, well, um, grew up with uh, four brothers, two sisters, uh, mother and father on the south side of Pittsburgh. I was born in a little small town called Manesson, Pennsylvania, about Manesson. 30 miles from here, yeah, in the Mon Valley area. But we moved to Pittsburgh when I was five years old. Um, so I grew up here on the south side of Pittsburgh primarily, lived in a couple of different neighborhoods, but um, I grew up in Arlington Heights on the south side of Pittsburgh. Um, and uh, like I said, with four brothers, two sisters, I'm second oldest, I have a sister who's the oldest, and I'm uh, the first boy, the oldest, the oldest uh, son. Nice. So yeah, yeah. So I um, grew up in a very loving home. Um, uh, my father was a musician. My mother... What um, did he play? Guitar primarily, but he also played... Uh, Keyboards too, but okay. guitar primarily. Um, Bass, what, lead, what, lead. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Electric yeah. or acoustic? electric? Yeah, electric. Yeah. Um, musical genius, my father was, mm. and I don't just say that because he was my father, but he really was. He never took music lessons. Mm. Never uh, learned how to read music. He just played by ear. Jazz. He played, he, le- he played. He blues was his favorite. Okay. But he played jazz too, and some some R and B stuff and pop stuff, but blues was his favorite. Nice. Um, but he said when he was about, I think he said ten years old. He just picked a guitar up and just started playing one. Oh. It was just a gift from God. You know, he just, um, yeah, just played by ear. He could hear a song one time and play it. Mm. You know, he, I remember we would be sitting around, you know, doing whatever, playing cards or whatever, and he would hear a song on the radio, and he'd be like, oh, I like that. That's in the key of G. Yeah, I like that. He said, I think I'll play that at the gig tonight. And he would just go just and just play go it. play it that wow. night. It, it is. <laughs> that's I mean, that's kind of ear he had. Was he more solo, or was he in a like? A well, he was. Band yeah, he had a band, band, and he was always that he started. Actually, my my years ago, my mother and two of my aunts were singers in the band. They were background singers, and my aunt, my dad's sister, played bass guitar. Oh, nice. Actually, my aunt Dot, she played bass guitar, and um, so yeah, so he had different members throughout over the years in his band. But yeah, he always had a band. So was your home full yeah. of music? Always, or? always. Yeah, um, my father was always <laughs> hearing something. And, and, you know, uh, we had the radio on all the time, yeah. you know, so it was a very musical family. My, my mother sang, my mother could really sing. Mm. My father sang, my mother sang, my, my, my aunt, my dad's sister sang. Mm. So, and uh, there were a few of us that sang myself. And, and um, so, yeah, yeah, um, growing up, just remember sitting around and just singing. We would, even playing cards, we'd sit around the table and a song would be on. 
and we would just start harmonizing and stuff. You know, and I have those are precious memories Absolutely. to me. I remember stuff. Like, and matter of fact, the songs that I hear now, when I hear those songs, it brings back that memory oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. And we just sit around and harmonize that song. My, my father would be the high note. I would be the middle. My mother would be bottom. Yeah, that's sweet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So those kind of things. Yeah, we grew up in a musical family. Yeah. Yeah, Saturday days. mornings, you know, you played music and cleaned the house. That's what you did. You yeah. uh, <laughs> cleaned the house yeah. while music was playing. You yeah, know? I still do. Yeah, that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's funny because I will not clean unless music is on. Mm. To this day, I will never. If there's no music playing, I'm not cleaning it's anything. Like inspiration. It, it, seriously, it's like embedded in me. You know, <laughs> if I'm going to clean the house, music has to be playing. Go, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. Um, but that was my part of my experience growing up. Mm. Um, poor, didn't have a whole lot, but rich in love. Yeah, man. And uh, uh, yeah, rich in love and 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 fun and memories and so yeah, yeah. I, I cherish those times. Yeah. I do. I cherish. Those Sounds times. like rich in in talents and abilities. Yes, and, yes, and for skills sure. and gifts too. Yeah, definitely we were. Yeah, we were. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was part of my growing up experience. Yeah, which is like I said, I, I treasure that. Yeah, I think oh, about that a lot. Like what what span here are we talking? Uh we moved when I was like nine. Okay. Yeah, nine years old. Nine till I became an adult. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and my, me and my brothers and sisters, we still obviously reminisce a lot about the times growing up. You know, we, we still laugh about some things. You know. <laughs> yeah. 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 So where did you go to school? I went to uh, grade school. Or well. A couple of different places. Um, went to kindergarten in Homewood, mm-hmm. Homewood Elementary. Kindergarten first and second grade at Homewood Elementary. Then I went to third grade. We lived in East Liberty for a year. So I went to Lincoln Larmer for a year. And then we moved to Arlington. I went to Arlington Elementary School for fourth and fifth grade. Then I went one year in middle school on the south side. And then and when I was growing up, the high school started in the seventh grade back oh. then. So from seventh to twelfth grade, it was South Side High That's School. That's a big difference. It was, yeah, yeah. The first, graders. yeah, the first, um, yeah, oh man, yeah. And then after a couple years later, they cut it down to just ninth grade. But but yeah, so yeah, seventh graders in school with with, with seniors, yeah, so twelve like year 12. olds in school with eight yeah. exactly with eighteen year olds, and so but that was normal back then. Yeah. That was a thing. Yeah, so. So, yeah, was it, yeah. was it um, mixed ethnicities or was it? Yeah, it was mainly white, but it was, yeah, it was mixed. It was some blacks, too. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was on the south side of Pittsburgh on Carson, okay. Carson Street. Yeah. So that's where I went. Yeah, that's where I graduated from. Okay. Yeah. Primarily mixed schools growing up. Was that your experience? Um. Yeah, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Primarily. Um, I think probably the most mixed may have been... Uh, the Homewood Elementary School. Okay. Yeah, that was probably the most, yeah, I would say, from my memory. I was so long ago, from my memory, yeah. Yeah. Uh, early years, first, second, third grade. Okay. Yeah, yeah, fourth grade maybe, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then how, so when did you start to understand God, or was God a concept in your home? Was it a Christian He was. Home? Um, no, my mother grew up in the church. My father used to go, too, when he was growing up. Um, but my mother did grow up in church. Okay. Um, but she got away from it. They both got away from it um, when they got older. Okay. So I did not grow up in church. I had uh, a friend that I would go to church with periodically. Um, how old were you? Uh, ew, how old was I? Probably 12, 13, okay. around those so years. Even teenage years. Yeah, I was yeah. young. Yeah. So I would go, when I would go to his house and spend the weekend or something, His mother, they would go to church and I would go with them. Hmm. You know, maybe on Easter or something go... Uh, but I didn't, it wasn't a consistent thing, okay. you know, but, um, but the knowledge of God was there. God of the, the Bible? Yes, okay. yes, yes. Um, 
Yeah, the knowledge of God of the Bible was there because my mother's because of their upbringing. Um, so my mother would, you know, make comments about Jesus or whatever. Okay. My father would too. My father was very emotional. He's a very emotional guy, and he loved movies about Jesus. Mm. He loved every year when the Ten Commandments came on or Jesus of Nazareth. He had to watch it every time, and he would cry every time really? every year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So he was very emotional about that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it was very God conscious uh, home. Yeah, very God conscious. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God yeah, conscious. right. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so it was when it, when when God started calling me that it wasn't odd mm. to me in that sense because I knew God existed. I believed in God intellectually. Okay, you know, even though I didn't know Him uh, in my heart, you know, but I did. I was aware that there was a God. Okay, did you and have I, a Bible? Were you reading it? I didn't. There was one in the home. I remember I would start to read the Bible sometimes, and I, somebody, I never got past Genesis chapter three. <laughs> but uh, but I do remember, and I do remember when I would. There were certain verses that I would read when I felt like I needed forgiveness. Um, mm-hmm. and I remember reading Psalm fifty one all the time in Psalm thirty four. Wow. Because because the Bible would in the front it would tell you what verses to read oh, for yeah. what yeah so for forgiveness read this yeah here, yeah so I remember going to Psalm thirty four and uh, fifty one a lot or was it thirty two Psalm thirty two the ones about forgiveness and fifty one I do remember reading those a hmm. lot you know um, over the years not all the time but you know, I do remember yeah. reading those periodically yeah hmm. yeah so what how did you get from twelve thirteen going to church you have a Bible that you're reading somewhat mm-hmm. to actually becoming a believer like what was that journey like well i had a friend who had gotten saved and that's a long story i want to go into it. But i had a friend who had got well actually i didn't know the guy okay it was a guy that i would run into all the time on the streets and neighborhood um, guy neighborhood guy yeah yeah, yeah. but what I, I said we didn't know each other but we would see each other all the time and just speak and say hello so it got to the point where um we moved from one end of wilkinsburg to the other end of wilkinsburg and I was washing my clothes one day at the laundromat, and it was around the corner from where we moved from. And so I went there to wash my clothes. And I go to wash my clothes in the laundromat, and who's there? This guy hmm. that I've been seeing all the time. He's there washing his clothes. And I said, you know what? I haven't seen this guy for like two years. This was going on. I haven't seen this guy for like two years, every, almost every day, hmm. for like two years. Let me go introduce myself, you know, and say, so I did. Say, what's up? We kind of laughed, you know. I mean, I see you all the time, you know, blah, blah, blah. And we kind of laughed about it. And he says, you know, we need to get together sometime, hook up. And I said, yeah, we need to do that. Blah, blah, blah. And he, the funny thing is, he said, um, I told him, I said, yeah, I just moved uh, down here around the corner. He said, what? He said, I just moved down here too. Hmm. Probably right around the corner from where I was to live with his uncle. Hmm. You know, I was like, what? He said, yeah, I just moved around the corner to live with my uncle, blah, blah, blah. So anyway, we exchanged numbers. So we got to hook up sometime. And so, and so we did. We actually did go out one time and hung out a little bit. And um, so about two, three months later, I was running to the bus stop. I was going somewhere, and I was going to the bus stop, and I had to go past this house to get to the bus stop. And so I'm running past this house, and he comes running out the door, you know. And we speak, hey, what's up? How you doing? Yeah, I'm doing fine. I haven't seen you in a while. Yeah, but um, how, you, how you doing? Ask me how I was doing. Ask me how he was doing. He said, I'm doing good. He said, I just got saved. Hmm. And I was like, oh, yeah. And I had an idea of what that meant. You know, I didn't really know fully what that meant, but I had an idea. And I said, oh, okay. I said, oh, that's nice, blah, blah, blah. And he was in the choir at the church he was at. And he said, um, my choir's having a concert in a couple of weeks, and I'd like for you to come. You know, and I was like, oh, okay, you know. So, and you know, I said, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come. And I told you my mother about it. You had been to church it. before. I had been to church, and my mother loved gospel music. Okay. You know? Yeah. So I told my mother about it. She's like, oh, yeah, we can go, blah, blah, cool. blah. So we went to the concert. How old are you about? I was 23. I was 23. And so we went to the concert. Um, and that's when, I think for the first time, I felt the presence of God and God mm. really beginning to deal with me um, at the concert. 
Um, looking back now, I, I know it was the Holy Spirit um, tugging on me, mm. you know, but, um, and then went to the concert, loved it, enjoyed the concert, started going to church with him on Sunday mornings, you know, uh, loved going, hated the quote unquote altar call time. Mm. Explain Be- that for those who might not know what that is. Well, at the end of this service, they would invite people to come and accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior. So they would, Why are they called an altar call? Because they want you to come down to the altar. You know, they call, you know, you, they send out the call, the invitational call, the gospel call for people to come and, 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 and receive Jesus and get saved. And then you walk down to the altar and people, you know, pray for you and welcome you and that kind of thing. And, and, and so they did that after every sermon. Okay. After, traditional after, churches traditional, yeah. have a front kind of like either a kneeling place or like a half wall. Right. And, and that was the altar. That was right where the pastor preaches, like right below right. where the pastor, yeah, where the pastor preaches, yeah. And so they would do that all the time. And <laughs> the Holy Spirit would be tugging on me all the time. And I, at the time, I just thought, about, like, why do I have these butterflies in my stomach, you know? Because I knew, now I know, like I said, it was God calling yeah. me. And I didn't want to go down front. I didn't want all this walking down in front of all those people, yeah. you know, to kind of, that was, that was really what I was doing. I didn't want to go down in front of all those people. So anyway, that happened several weeks. And then it got to the point, and me and my mother had talked about that. Hmm. And it got to the point where I said to myself, you know what, you know, I need to do this. And let me back up a little bit. I had been praying already. Mm. I had been praying already uh, about an issue I, I was struggling with in my life. And we can talk about that in a minute. But, but uh, And I was part of God's answering my prayer. Because I would pray every night. Mm. You know, I would pray every night uh, to God. And um, so anyway, I finally decided that I would, quote unquote, take the walk. Yeah. And go down to the altar and give my life to the Lord. And that's what I did. Um, back in 1985, and that's basically how I got saved. Yeah, I was 23 in 1985. Yeah, yeah, and so um, and that's how I got saved. And it, and it was it really was a, a an immediate change in mm. me. Yeah, I, it immediate change. I noticed immediate change. I immediately wanted to read the Bible. I immediately had a desire to pray. Immediately wanted to go to church. I mean, mm. I loved it. I, I just I just plunged all into that mm. to that world. Um, and because, before, what was it? Was it half-heartedness? What was it before? In comparison? Well, it just wasn't. I didn't have a desire to go to church. You know, I didn't have a desire to pray all the time. You just went because someone invited you. Yeah, 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 yeah. I just went, yeah. Primarily, that's why I went, you know. Um, but, yeah, there was that immediate change hmm. to, like I said, I, t- I took a plunge, like, both feet in. Hmm. And because I got into the choir immediately. You know, and the choir was very active. They sang every Sunday morning, Sunday yeah. night, Friday night. Wow. They traveled a lot, you know, and I loved that. Yeah. You know, and everybody in the choir was around my age, you know. So, and that was one thing. And it was, and I look back now and I see all the things that God had in place that I needed for my salvation. Mm. Um, young people my age who loved God and, and were excited about you God. Could and see yourself I could see them. myself, yes. Um, so that meant uh, that that helped to sustain me, you know, the kind of music. Matter of fact, some of the music, the guy with, with, who, who led me to Christ um, would play songs by this group called Commission. Commission, two groups, Commission and the Winans. He said, Eddie, I want you to hear this stuff. And I listened to it and I was and I'd never heard gospel music like that before. You know, I always heard the traditional stuff, okay. you know. What was different about this? Because it was more contemporary. It, was, it sounded more like Boys to Men. All right. You know, right. and I know, those kind of contemporary groups. Yeah, do you think your um, dad would appreciate that style? Yeah, like oh, yeah, he did. Scale? Yeah, he okay. did. Yeah, he did. Um, so that was my first time hearing that, and I was like, wow, I love this stuff, you know. And there were two songs in particular, I think, that God used to, to, to stir my heart. 
one of them was called Tomorrow by the Wine, and it was, it was talking about delaying salvation until tomorrow. Mm. You know, um, beautiful song. And that, and there were the other ones called, it's an old hymn called Tis So Sweet to Trust in Jesus, yeah. the commission oh, there. Yeah. And their version of it was just, it's just amazing, you know. Um, so anyway, those two groups and those two songs really had an impact um, on me and, and, and played a part in my salvation, I think, too. And, and God knew how much I loved music. Mm. And so the music thing was huge. Uh, not just the choir, but those, because there was other stuff I started to hear, not just those groups, but then other things that I would hear. And so music was a huge uh, impact and had a huge part in me uh, coming to Christ as well. Yeah. So, the man, God knew that. He knew yeah. what, would, what would get my attention. Isn't if that you will. cool that he can use, uh, you know, the mind and yes. philosophy, or he can use music, or he can use he, yeah, anything. He anything. Everything. You know, he knew me. He made me. He knew what I, yeah, yeah, he knew my heart. So, yeah. And so that was um, how I got saved. And, um, and I was at that church for like 12 years. Did you get baptized? I got baptized, yeah. Um, about eight, nine months after I got saved, I got baptized. I still have my baptismal certificate, which nice. I eventually did find. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking at it for months, looking for it for months, by the way. But I eventually did find. But yeah, I um, got baptized in 86. April, matter of fact, it was April of 86. I remember nice. the month, yeah, yeah. Now, was this the same church building down the street here? Well, we used that building on Friday nights and Tuesday nights. We used another building on Sunday morning because the congregation was bigger. Gotcha. Um, it, uh, a church in... A Seventh Day Adventist Church in okay. Wilkinsburg. We were used on Sunday mornings, okay. but that church we used on Sunday nights yeah. and Tuesday nights, and we had choir rehearsal there. And okay. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Quick story. Yeah. Um, so when Eddie and I branched out of the living room uh, when we planted yeah. Eternal City in 2014, uh, we we got into a church. Um, what was it? Six, 1675 Lakedon Road. 1675 <laughs> Lakedon, yeah. yeah. And we started remodeling, and we put a lot of effort and, and money, and, and yeah. you were like, this is the church that yeah. I was first in and a part of yeah. when I was a brand new believer. Yeah, yeah a lot yeah. of memories in there, yeah. 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 And, and, and backing up a little bit, the guy uh, who led me to Christ. But just thinking for those two years, God was was preparing both of us. You know, Like I said, we, was, we didn't know each other, but... Um, God had us plan to see each other all the time and then eventually hook up. God saved him first and then used him to draw yeah. me and my mother, actually. Yeah. Me and my mother. So that whole thing, I think about that now, I was like, wow, God, you're amazing. You know, um, that that's how you, how you did this. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's interesting that you can look back and as you're experiencing it, you're just. Yeah. Just it was nothing. It. I was like, why did I see this guy? Yeah. Time? But you, you know? look back and it's yeah. kind of epic. You're like, wow, you can wow. trace the steps. You can and, trace the steps and God's hand yeah. in the whole thing. The movement and I think about it now. And we, me and him both, sometimes we think about it, we just laugh. I haven't seen him in years, but we think about that and just smile and just laugh like, wow, that was God was something. Yeah. 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 It's yeah. great, man. Yeah. Tell me about uh, the struggle. You said that we'll talk about that later. You said there was something you were praying about before you got saved. What was yeah. Um, uh, I, uh, like I said, we grew up uh, with four brothers, two sisters, and my mother and father. And um, my relationship with my father on an emotional level wasn't what it should have been. Okay. Not because of him primarily, but my father, I had some anger towards my father. You know, because I feel like he was uh, um, the provider I thought he should have been hmm. for us What as did a you family. think he should have been doing that he wasn't? I felt, I felt that he could have been done more to take care of us okay. to provide for us you know I felt like my mother deserved more okay. uh, now I'm a child now I'm a, yeah financially yeah 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 and I'm, and I'm a child you know so but at the same time and I think this started around 8 years old okay. you know 8, 9 years old somewhere around that I think probably around 8 or 9 years old I think that started I think 
Um, and so because of that, I kind of distanced myself from my father emotionally. Um, my father was very affectionate, very affectionate, very loving. My father loved us, and he let us know that all the time, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so he totally verbalized. Oh, yeah, you. all the okay. time, yeah. Yeah, and always hugged us. and kissed. But when he would do that, I would kind of push it away because I, I was angry, mm-hmm. you know. And when you're a child, you're just trying to protect yourself. You don't realize what you're doing. Yeah, you're just not conscious. You're not conscious of what you're doing. You're just trying to protect your own self, your own emotions. Mm-hmm. And... Um, and I kind of, I think I knew that it was wrong to feel that way about my father. I think I always, I always didn't know that it was wrong to feel that way about my father. So I never told anybody, you know, I just held on to those, those feelings, um, to myself. And so, so my father would hug me, well, I would let him hug me, but uh, on the inside I was rejecting the hug, yeah. you know what I'm saying? So, um, and so emotionally I, I, I rejected his, his affection and his love. And it's important that a young boy receives his father's love. Mm-hmm. That's very important because his father is his first definition of masculinity, sure. his definition of manhood. He used to pattern himself after his dad mm-hmm. with a lot of things and those kind of things. And, um, and I didn't do that because of my anger. Like I said, I was, of course, I was ignorant. I was a child. I didn't know yeah, that's what I needed. You know, so I grew up, I grew up uh, like that. And so you grow up and you become a teenager. Uh, puberty sets in. You become a sexual being. And so now this emotional need that was not met... Um, uh, in, in me um, got distorted and I thought was, was sexual. Mm. And so the, it, it brought about the same sex attraction mm. because I was looking for that fatherly affection, that fatherly um, affection, yeah, you know, yeah. affirmation, yeah. you know, uh, from my dad, from my father. And so, and also, and then the, when those feelings came, I didn't feel like a man. Mm. You know, when I first realized it, yeah. probably 11, okay. about 11 years old, I think. Is when I first uh, recognized and realized that, yeah, probably 11 years old. Okay. Yeah. And so, and then as time goes on, you know, I didn't feel like a man because real men don't have these feelings. And especially growing up in a culture, especially in black culture, where homosexuality is really frowned upon, hmm. you know. Um, yeah, frowned upon... <sighs> And I'm sure it's frowned upon in, in, in other communities, too. But that I would say in my community, yeah, and then hearing a lot of stuff about it, you know, especially back then. This is in the 70s. Okay. You know, so. Um, and so that really made me, okay, well, I really can't let anybody know about this, mm. you know, because of they're going to reject me. They're not going to love me. They're going to laugh at me, make fun of me, all that kind of stuff, you yeah, know. Yeah. So, so you, you don't, you don't, yeah, I've never told a soul, yeah. you know, so you struggle in silence, yeah. you know, if you will. Um, but also it was shame and all of that came along with that, you know. Um, and just not knowing how people were going to respond to all of that. And so, uh, um, so that's how I grew up, okay. you know, with that struggle, you know, and that's really what drew me to God. That's what, that's what I was praying about every night, okay. you know, um, because I knew even before I got saved, I knew it was sin, you know, so it wasn't like, um, I wanted these desires. I didn't, you know, because I knew it was sin. I had, and it wasn't because I even learned that from church. But at the same time, I think we all know some things innately are not right or wrong. Whether it's lying, sure. murder. It's the law of God. <laughs> it's the law of God heart. written on your heart. Mm-hmm. So, so we all know that some things are not right. And I knew that wasn't, that wasn't normal. Yeah. And that wasn't uh, God's, God's desire. So, um, so you took that to God? Like yes, you, you, yeah, yeah. You recognized something was amiss. 
Mm-hmm. And even though you weren't brought up in the church mm-hmm. and you didn't have a, a background in Christianity, right, yeah. you brought that to God regularly. I did. I, I, I didn't do that immediately. I think I started doing that maybe around the age of 18, maybe. Okay. Maybe 18, 19, maybe somewhere around there. And I think prior to me getting saved, I think I started doing it more, mm. you know, maybe my early 20s. Okay. Uh, yeah, I probably started doing it more in my early 20s. Um, and the thing is, I didn't, I wasn't praying that, because I wasn't saved, so I wasn't praying that because I wanted to please God. I was praying that because I didn't want to be embarrassed. Mm. It was about my own image. Sure. Is why I was praying, you know, because of why I didn't know God. So it wasn't like I, I wanted to. Yeah, you to, weren't being convicted by I wasn't, the Holy Spirit. Right, exactly. It was just that I don't want this because of what it's going to make people think about me. Sure. You know what I'm saying? So, which was very selfish, but at the same time, God's grace and mercy, God didn't, that didn't stop God from answering my prayer mm. because he knew, um, yeah. okay, he doesn't know me, but, you know, his heart, my heart was... Even though it was selfish in that sense, God said, but I'm still going to use this to draw him to me. Mm. You know, that's just the grace of God. Yeah. You know, because, like I said, it was, it was a more of a selfish prayer than anything else. You know. What were you praying? Like, what exactly? I just prayed God takes these desires away. That was pretty much a simple, okay. just a simple prayer. Right. I didn't know what else to say. You know, God, I don't know why I'm like so this. I don't it like to this. Be different. I want it to be different. Yeah, because I always wanted a family and kids and stuff. And I was like, and I, I don't think I realized... Um. I used to think that I was going to outgrow it. Mm. When I first got the desire, I thought, okay, I'm just going through this phase. I'm going to, I'm going to outgrow this. Yeah. And then I think the first time I realized it wasn't going anywhere, I, th- I was 18 years old, and I think I would remember laying in the bed, and it was late at night, and it was the first time I ever cried about it mm. because I realized this is not going away. Mm. And I was 18 years old, and that was the first time I ever cried about it. Mm. Because I realize I'm, I'm, I'm stuck, quote-unquote. Yeah. And were you yeah. praying before that, or does this inspire the prayer? I think it more so inspired the prayer. Okay. Probably more so inspired the prayer. So, um, but and I you knew... You told anyone. I told anybody. So it's 11 to 18 now, and mm-hmm. this is just your secret. Just my secret. Wow. Yeah. 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 And, um, yeah, so, so that's what, like I said, drew me to God. Mm. And then after I got saved... Um, so from 18 to 23... Mm-hmm. 23, you're, you go to this church right. with this guy that you met. Right. Uh, you're wrestling mm-hmm. even more consciously mm-hmm. between 18 and 23. Did the mm-hmm. prayer intensify? Like what? Yeah, what yeah like? I started praying more, you know, because I believed, you know, you, you, you hear certain things in church about, you know, God being able to deliver you. And, and, yeah. and so you think that, okay, God's just going to take this away and just change my desires just like that, mm-hmm. you know. And so... I, in the initial stages, that's what I was praying. That's what I was hoping anyway, yeah. you know. But obviously learning later on that that's not how that works, you know. Um, and even, even, and I think what happened, I remember one, one day praying. Because I was praying like, okay, God, you can, and I think I remember even saying this maybe to God. Okay, God, you can free me from this, but don't ever ask me to tell anybody. Mm. And I think I even said that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I didn't, I wasn't totally surrendered to God. I didn't totally surrender to God because I was still holding on to, okay, yeah, yeah, you can do this, but I ain't never telling anybody about mm. this. 
because of the shame and all the stuff yeah. that was still there and, and the stigma that goes along with it, sure. you know. So, but anyway, but it, one day I said, okay, God, you know, I don't care what I just got tired, you know. And I said, I said, God, I don't care. Just I don't care if you, if you want me to tell people, fine, you know. I don't care. Just make it go away. And I think. And I was like a total surrender for the first time. Holy and I think honored that. Down. I was probably like 26, 27 okay. maybe. Yeah. So about mid-20s. three years of Christian. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mid-20s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah. So um, so I think God honored that prayer. Um, and then I got in touch with, I just happened to be I see on TV, a ministry, a local ministry that dealt with people who uh, had same-sex attraction, mm. you know, and there was a local church, and I and I called. Mm. You know, there was a support group for people who struggled with okay. same-sex attraction, and so I called. You know, um, got involved in that ministry, and 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 that's why I began to learn. Uh, because once I got involved in that ministry, um, I got in touch with uh, some books. I read some books on the okay. issue on the subject. Got in touch with the ministry in Reading, Pennsylvania, as well. Um, so me reading a lot of books. And one of the books that I read had me journal, mm. do a journal of my thoughts and all that kind of stuff. And that's that was the first time I realized where the struggle came from. Mm. That it did it went it went back to my childhood in my relationship with my father through the during this journal reading this book. And when I saw that, I was like, oh my God, you know. Cause everything that came out in the journal was true. I knew, and, and, and I was like, I was writing stuff down. And when you're writing stuff down about yourself, it's almost like you're writing writing about somebody else. So it's mm-hmm. easy to do that. And then you read it back to yourself. It's like you're reading almost about somebody else. And then when I started reading this, I was like, Oh my God, you know, this is me. This is me. Because everything, I was like, Yep, that's me. That's me. That's mm-hmm. me. The, yeah, that's what I want. That's what I want. That's what I want. Things I was looking for. Yeah. You know, in relationships, I was like, That's exactly what I want. You know, and so God was telling me, Eddie, that's where the struggle comes from. Mm. And at the same time, it was a relief to find out there was a reason for it. I was relieved to find out, oh, okay, so this did come from somewhere. Because mm. I mean, because for years I was like, why am I like, yeah, yeah. what is going on here? You know, and it was so, so frustrating because I couldn't, I couldn't um, trace it to anything. You know, I couldn't trace it to anything. Um, but when when that came out, when God revealed to me what it was, it was like an exhale. I was mm-hmm. like, okay, all right, now it makes perfect sense, you know. And then God just started to, to deal with all the issues. I had to forgive my father for not being the father I thought he should have been, mm-hmm. you know. Was he um, alive still? He was at the time, yeah. Did you talk to him about it? Yeah, eventually. Actually, I talked to him and my mom, like, a year before he died, I did. Mm. Yeah, yeah, a year before he died, I, uh, we had a chance to talk, you know. Did he receive the forgiveness? Oh, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. My father, and the thing, so many parts to this, um, I was always a quote-unquote good son, quote-unquote, you know, I never gave my parents any problems. Yeah. And my father loved that about me, you yeah. know, he used to brag very about compliant. how very, yeah, very compliant, how good of a child I was, you know, and I used to hate it, and I, he was, he, he would call grades? me, yeah, I did, did I was a good, good, yeah, 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 and one thing he used to do, he used to, I used to hate, but he used to, sometimes, not all the time, jokingly, but he would call me little Jesus, hmm. and I hated that, because I knew what I was dealing with. I was mm. like, no, I can't be a little Jesus. If you knew what I was struggling with, you would never say that about wow. me. You know, 
But he would do that, like I said, because and he thought he was honoring. You, yeah, 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 and it was, and I and I, and I appreciated that. I understand what he was doing. And my mother used to say, "Stop that! Don't do that! Don't call him that!" Because she knew that I was, "Don't call him that! Don't do that!" You know. Um, but like I said, he would he didn't even laugh about it. Yeah. You know. Um, but anyway, um, what was I at? Um, you said that you had forgiven your father. Yeah, yeah. So I had to, to I had to forgive him for not being the father that I thought he should have been. Um, uh, I had to embrace my own masculinity which I felt I didn't have mm. you know I'm not masculine you know because I have these desires it's not a masculine thing mm-hmm. I'm not a real man I, I was very un- for the years very uncomfortable around other men mm. and well groups of men in particular okay. I mean, of course I had friends my best friends were male so I was yeah, un- yeah. yeah but I mean in certain uh, environments I was very uncomfortable around men because I didn't feel like one of them mm. you know and so you felt me. like you were on the outside looking in. Yeah, kind of. yeah, exactly. Yeah, because I didn't feel like I belonged there, hmm. you know. And then always in the back of your mind, I wonder if they know, hmm. you know, kind of thing. It's like the enemy, when he knows that you have an issue, he would use that. And he did that with me for years. Keep you in the corner and whisper things in your ear, yeah. quote unquote, you know. Um, yeah, so that was, that was, I never felt like a man among men. Hmm. Never, you know. Um, so, yeah, so that was... Um, Before you move on, uh-huh. do you think that um, talking with your father, talking with your mother, discovering these roots mm-hmm. in your journal, what do you think that did for you? Did, was it like a step-by-step process that, that brought healing or what... Looking back on it now, mm-hmm. what, did, what did that do? It was definitely step-by-step. You know, it wasn't... Yeah, it was definitely step-by-step. Um, and that was freeing to me. To tell my and I told my brothers and sisters too, you know. How um, old do you think you were at that point? Uh, when I told my whole family. Yeah, you said it was like an exhale. Yeah, I I think I told my parents first, okay. and then my brothers and sisters sometime later. I think, but I was oh was I, I was probably early thirties. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I would say early thirties. Yeah, yeah, but it was freeing, you know, um, that they finally knew. You know, um, I wasn't keeping a secret from them anymore, you know, so. Did you tell your dad, like, and this is why? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah I gave him the whole story. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, I did. Yeah. 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 And I asked him to forgive me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah. 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 So, yeah, it was definitely a step-by-step. I mean, even when I started telling in people individually, because um, even I didn't, still didn't, because I had a roommate at the time, I didn't tell him. Uh, and then I, I finally, he was probably the first person I told outside of my family, you know. Um, and then I started telling other people I was very close to, like one by one, mm-hmm. you know. And then eventually I did tell the whole church, mm-hmm. actually, where I was at eventually. Um, the church you were a part of for some time? Yeah, the one where I got saved at, yeah. Mm-hmm. I did tell. I told the pastor um, initially. And then I didn't do it immediately. I told the pastor first. And then sometime later I decided, and yeah, that was God. That was God. Even for me to tell... Even for me to tell him was a big step. And then to tell the whole church was even a bigger step. I knew How'd that they was do God. that? Was it like a testimony time? Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, yeah, on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Did you ask like to do that or did they ask you to do that? No, I, I told him I wanted to do mm. that. Yeah, yeah. Because they didn't know. The pastor knew, but nobody else knew. Yeah. Well, there were some people, like a few people in the church that I you know was close to that I told. Um, but as far as the whole church, they didn't know. You know, and then I, yeah, I said that So Sunday what morning. was your motivation? Like, 
What was your desire, your your goal, your aim in doing that? Was it just like, hey, I want you guys to know me for real. This yeah. is Eddie. What what were you thinking? Yeah, that was part of it, and also, yeah, that was part of it. Yeah, to to get to know me and to not just be in hiding so much anymore. Okay, you know, and hopefully to help somebody else. Sure, you know, which some people did come to me afterwards and say, I need to talk to you. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was part of it. So, yeah, there was definitely benefit in that, you know. But that was a process. That was a process that God had to get me to because I wasn't always willing to do that. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. And since then, you have told a yeah, lot of Yeah, I've told a lot of people since then. Yeah, yeah. I've told a lot of people since yeah. then. And you've told our church. Yeah, I've told you know, you preached. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've told um, uh, the elders at, at Pinnacle Alliance and, you know, the elders at the other church. I was at Ecclesia before mm-hmm. before that. So, yeah. So, I do. Um, I'm... I'm definitely more um, willing to, to share now um, than I was before. Now, obviously, I use wisdom with that, sure. you know, and I don't tell everybody. And I don't tell people immediately. That's right. not the most important thing about me. Right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, so I don't, it's not your defining right, yeah. attribute. Right, yeah, yeah. But um, if I feel like I need to or it's going to benefit, then, yeah, I'll yeah. do that, you know. And I even do it now with people that I haven't known very long. It used to be only with people... That I knew very well, that I was very close like you to. you felt the relationship was secure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But now, even people that I haven't known very long, I'll share with if I feel it's, you know, necessary. It's going to be helpful. You know, yeah. It'll be helpful, yeah, yeah. Or even just for my own um, freedom, you know. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, this podcast was a challenge. Uh, <laughs> I'm not through yet. When I got your text, I was like, excuse me? <laughs> and I think, and I said this to you before, because um, even though I'm willing to share now, I have control of who who I tell, yeah. and who, with the podcast, it's like, okay, anybody can click Anyone on to can this and listen to this. That's right. And, you know, what if, what if so-and-so listens to this? Yeah, what if yeah. so-and-so, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. But that's just me still trying to hold on to control. Yeah. And so, you know, which is not... Yeah, know. to me, I mean, God has used mightily men and women in your same yeah, has, yeah. situation. Yeah, you know, yeah. Rosaria Butterfield in recent right, days, yeah. Sam Albury and others. Right, yeah, Jackie uh, Hill Perry. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, like, th- yeah. these stories of men and women who have struggled yeah. through this same, mm-hmm. you know, same-sex attraction, mm-hmm. and then they've, you know, not maybe seen victory, like a ch- mm-hmm. what we would call traditional victory, like yeah, we were yeah, praying yeah. for. Right, yeah. You know, God yeah. deliver uh-huh. me and change my desires. Mm-hmm. But they, they are Christians, and they're faithful to Christ, right. and they're faithful to fight temptation. Mm-hmm. And, and they are they are victorious in that sense. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. It's very are, encouraging uh, when I hear those testimonies. And every now and then I need to pull up one. You know, just encourage myself yeah. and hear, especially especially when you hear it told the opposite in the culture. Yeah, <laughs> you know, when you hear the culture, I'm like, okay, I need to go listen to yeah, Jackie. That's O'Pair. something actually I'd like <laughs> to talk about for a minute. Yeah. So before 2015 with the Burgerfell, but but especially since the Burgerfell, you know, even even the psychological treatments. Uh, same sex uh, uh, marriage. Oh, okay, okay. It, the yeah, the Burgerfell okay. decision in twenty fifteen. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Was it fifteen? Okay, same yeah, yeah. Sex marriage. Okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, even prior to that, though, the 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 stigma that you talked about that was there in the seventies mm-hmm. is not only not there now, mm-hmm. but it is celebrated and encouraged. Mm-hmm. And for someone like you, I think they would say. You're just you're living under the past oppression. That's mm-hmm. what they would mm-hmm. say oh, to yeah. you. Mm-hmm. So, you you've come from in your experience a time when clearly there was a stigma mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. it was seen as you are out of the norm. Mm-hmm. Where now in 2020, it, it's almost like 
you're you're not you're you're out of the norm if you don't embrace and mm-hmm. practice. Mm-hmm. There's exactly, a yeah. big uh-huh. oh, yeah. shift. Big shift. How do you Huge process shift. that? How do I process You've experienced that? It. I mean, how do yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, mean, I understand that that's the culture, and and I I saw this coming years ago. I'm not surprised at where we are. I saw this coming in the 80s and 90s when I used to watch talk shows and they would have people on who were who were gay and and it was very affirming and and but I knew we would get here eventually so I'm not surprised that we're here Um, but like I said it's the culture it's not biblical it's not God so that's what the world does Mm. you know um, they embrace sin you know sexual whether sexual or otherwise you know, so I don't allow that to um, affect my how I think, obviously, you know, because I know what Scripture says and what God has ordained and the order he established uh, for relationships and so on and so forth. So um, I'm not like, um, I don't, I'm not envious or anything like that of, of the world. You know, I used to be, mm-hmm. <laughs> I used to be envious of, of, of uh, homosexuals who just so freely live their life, mm. you know. Um, but yeah, at least seemingly, but, at least seemingly, exactly. Yeah, seemingly, seemingly. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I just understand that it's 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 deception. Mm. That's what it is. It's deception. You know. Um, so that's why it's important that there are ministries out there. Um, you know what they call them, ex gay ministries, and ministries out there who with people who have a testimony and, and talk about being free. And some people, and, and everybody's different. Some people get totally free. Some people never have a desire for same sex. Mm. I think that's the, the exception rather than the norm. But there are some people who never um, have a desire for the same sex. And there are some people um, who struggle, but they're still able to get married and have a family. Mm-hmm. And, and there are some people who never get attracted to the opposite sex, and they just, but they just live a holy and righteous life because yeah. they love God. They yeah. just abstain, you know. And, and it, all three of those uh, groups, those, those uh, definitions... Um, are real, mm. you know, and God deals with each, each of us individually, you know, so, um, so freedom is definitely real, mm. you know, it's definitely real. So you would say that you have found a freedom, uh, that is not so much deliverance from the desire, but a mm-hmm. freedom in, I am going to live a holy life with Christ and I'm going to continue to fight this desire. And you, you see that as freedom. Yeah. Freedom oh, yeah, definitely. That. Yeah. There's definitely freedom in that. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's freedom and not being bound, uh, or controlled by your emotions hmm. or your passions. You know, you fight those and they're real. They're Absolutely. very real. Yeah. yeah. Just like real. married men and women have to fight. Right. Uh, attraction of other uh, people right. that's not, not their yeah, exactly. spouse. Right, exactly. You know, we yeah. can't lust after, yeah, you know. Yeah. Now, the world would tell me that the reason you're struggling is because that's who you're supposed to be. Yeah. That's why you're struggling. But that's yeah. not true. God made that's you a like lie. That. God made they you like that. That's why you're Some struggling. would say that. Some, some would say, not. Yeah, some some, say yeah. it's a choice. It's a, yeah, 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 yeah. But that's not true at all. I mean, why? Yeah, that's not true at all. Because you can say that about anything if that's the case, mm. you know. Um, so, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah, it, freedom is, is real. Yeah, impossible. You know, uh, but the thing is, God, God calls me to be, God doesn't call me to be a heterosexual. God calls me to be holy. Mm. And, and that's what needs to be understood, I think, by the church in particular. You know, having a temptation is not a sin. Same-sex temptation is not a sin. That's right. Um, same-sex behavior is a sin. That's right. 
you know, and it's important to know to know and understand the difference between the two. Mm. So, um, yeah, and Jesus was tempted in all ways as we are, yet without, without sin. sin. Right, so exactly. he was tempted in manner, uh, in ways that we can't imagine we because can't imagine, yeah. Satan worked on him harder than anyone else because he was God. Right, right. So he right. had to work on him in a very unique way mm-hmm. that we don't. Uh, experience that kind of if you were to level it out and say all right jesus had level 10 temptation yeah, <laughs> yeah we might yeah. have six right. seven eight yeah mm. we rarely probably get to 10 right we give yeah, in. yeah i think it's very important too and i think one of the reasons I, I i wanted to tell people too was to for people to understand that there is a reason that that, that people are not born gay and i know that's out there but i don't think that's that's not biblical um people are not born gay um there's a there's a there's environmental factors that cause homosexual same sex attraction and even even some homosexuals will say that mm. you know um, primarily I would say for men and I'm not a psychologist but just from reading and and talking to other uh, men and women who struggled um, I think primarily for men it's looking for the fatherly affection um, one one ministry head was asked um, by Dr Michael Brown actually. Um, uh, the men who come to you, what is the root cause of their attraction? He said 95% of them come with a, a lack of a, um, attachment with their father. Mm. He said it's like 95%. He said, oh, hi, it's crazy. 95% of them. Mm. You know. So I think that would be the number one cause for men, I would say. Um, and I think the second cause would be um, child molestation, mm. boys who are molested by men. Um, when they're young, mm-hmm. um, which is a huge, well, <laughs> this might get me in trouble, but that's, it's a huge problem um, that's kind of swept under the rug, but that is one of the causes of homosexuality is Why you say it might get you in trouble? Well, because homosexuals don't like people to, to believe that or know that. Mm. Because what does that say about them? You know, I'm not saying that every homosexual is a child, right. so that's not the point. Right, right, right. Um, but it can cause mm. uh because if, if you're being molested, you know, at age five, six, seven, whatever, that's going to mess you up sexually, you know. So yeah. why wouldn't that it's certainly going to affect? You. Yeah, affect your, your your sexuality growing up, yeah. you know. So and it does, and not with everybody, because some get counseling and get yeah. help, and you know, and also and with with women who were raped and abused by 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 men, it causes them to shun men mm-hmm. and they become lesbians. Mm. You know, that's that's another story. I remember hearing a story of a woman who was in counseling uh, for same-sex attraction in one of the books I read. Um, and she was 40 years old. And uh, and the woman, they were praying. And they were praying uh, to God, I think, for, for God to reveal. I think they were praying for God to reveal to her where her attraction came from, you know. And while she was praying, God brought God brought back to her memory when she was 10 years old, she was molested by a guy, a family friend, I think it was, but by a man. And uh, she never told anybody, never told her parents even, never told anybody. And, and when, she, when, God, when God brought the memory back, she just broke down and just busted out crying. Mm. You know, she said, I totally forgot about that. Mm. She blocked it out of her mind on purpose, suppressed it because she didn't. And, and she, 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 she developed a, an, an, an affront to men. You know, and she became a lesbian. You know, she was just, but and God said that's and and that's what her journey began. You yeah. know, but um, but yeah, she was molested at the age of ten and just just blocked it out of her mind. You know, and and but but subconsciously 
it, it said something to her about men, so she didn't want to have nothing to do with a man sure. emotionally, you know. And that happens with a lot of women. Yeah. Know? So the 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 pop psychology, the non-Christian uh, psychology, would be totally reversed from everything mm-hmm. you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know that? I know. I know. I <laughs> and know. Uh, uh-huh. and yeah, in 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 some cases, I think the answer to you would be, well, you're, you're under the oppression of this ancient book mm-hmm. and you're under the oppression of this ancient code of morality. And you're simply living under this kind of like oppressed moral, mm-hmm. you know, past, you know, we're past this in 2020, mm-hmm. uh, but you're living in this old kind of oppressive morality. Yeah. What would you say to that? <laughs> I would say, no, I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> Period. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, yeah. Um, no, I'm not. I'm living according to who God created me to be. Okay. You know, because I'm not, feelings are not facts. Mm. I can't allow my feelings to control me and define who I am. That's not wise. Feelings are notoriously unreliable. Mm. <laughs> you know, so if I'm going on my feelings, whether they're emotional or sexual, that's not wise to define who I am. Mm-hmm. And that's not how we are to define who we are. God tells me who I am. Mm. Now, there may be, those feelings may be very real. But the question is, why do I have them? Mm. Not just embrace them because they're so embedded in me. And that's the thing, too. Sexual desire is a, is a deeply embedded thing. That's, a very, that's why it's one of the hardest things to overcome, whether it's homosexual or heterosexual. It's sexual temptation and desire. That's why it's one of the biggest problems in our, God our society. Made us because God beings. made us sexual beings. Yeah. And so it's one of the hardest things to overcome. So, um, but just because it's, it's deeply embedded in me, um, doesn't mean it's not perverted, you know, doesn't mean I ought to act on it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm a sexual being and I have sexual desires, but they have been distorted. There's mm-hmm. such thing as perverted love, Agreed. perverted sexual desire. Yeah. We, we, whether you, whether it's, um, uh, pedophilia or rape, that's, that's, that's sexual desires just yeah, perverted. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, so, and the same thing, and I know that would be a, very offensive, but the Bible says in Romans chapter 1, that what homosexuals do in the bed is a perversion. Mm-hmm. What am I supposed to do with that? Right. That's what it says. And so I got to go by what, how God defines me and not my emotions or the culture. It's mm. good. And that's not popular. No. And it's not, you know, but it's the truth. Yeah, so you're finding your identity... The, the, the sense of who you are, not in your sexuality, where a lot of LGBTQ uh, mm-hmm. would would find their primary sense of identity yeah. in their sexuality. Yeah, they would. Yeah, yeah. That's what they're taught nowadays in our culture. And even from some, uh, quote-unquote, professionals. Now, back in the day, psychologists, psychiatrists labeled it a mental disorder. Right. Um, and... And a lot of them probably still do. treatments for. Yeah, there were treatments for, yeah. It doesn't mean, because uh, we hear the word mental, you know, that's, that's a very strong word. You know, we say somebody has a mental disorder, yeah. you know. People can have all kind of thoughts in their mind. It doesn't mean you're crazy or, or it doesn't mean there's some issues that you need to deal with. Mm-hmm. That's all, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and there was a time when the American Psychiatrist Association knew that and understood. And then it was political pressure from the gay community back in the day and they removed that st- from their books although a lot of them still believe it they just can't say it publicly mm. you know and I believe a lot of them still believe it, they just can't say it publicly but and then I'll go get you know a gay psychiatrist and say see you know so anyway um, that's the culture that's where we're at but but yeah it's obviously 
an issue. Mm-hmm. You know, it doesn't mean that you're crazy or you're 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 going to molest children. Right. But there's some issues in your life. Okay, why you have these desires? You know, that's what you. Okay, let's get to the let's talk and find right. out why you have these desires. It, Rather just em, embrace them. You know, which our, which our culture tells us to do, and that's yeah. why people don't even. Yeah, expressive individualism. Yeah, yeah, say. yeah. Be who you are, mm-hmm. you know, um, the authentic you and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. So what would you say to someone listening to this who might be, you know, realizing for the first time, like, oh, wow, I I have these uh, desires and attractions um, and, and I am a Christian or I am, you know, on my road to becoming a Christian. Mm-hmm. I didn't know you could be a Christian and have these feelings and desires. What would you say to them? I would tell them that there's hope, and 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 they don't have to despair. Um, God, their desires are not sinful. The attraction is not sinful. The temptation is not sinful. Um, God understands, and God by that them. you mean the temptation itself, right? The temptation itself is right. not sinful. Yeah, yeah. And God, because if you're tempted as a uh, opposite sex attraction to lust, that is also. A temptation, right. a temptation, right? But the yeah. temptation itself is not sinful. It's right. only if you give in to the temptation. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I would tell them you can't define yourself by your emotions and by your sexual urges and desires, in spite of what society may tell you. Mm. <clears throat> and God loves you and wants to uh, to help you and wants to reveal to you why you have these desires. And it, and it's and, and it's a process. It is. Um, and it's going to be one of the hardest things. It, this is the hardest thing I've ever to deal with in my whole life. Mm. Um, one of the probably the hardest thing I've ever had to deal with in my entire life, you know, because like I said, it is such a um, deeply embedded thing, you know. And you're and the thing is, you're trying to meet a legitimate need. I was trying to meet a legitimate need. Yeah. It's a, it, a boy needs his father's affirmation. Yeah. And his father's. I was trying to meet that. That's a god designed yeah. future. I was just trying to meet it in an illegitimate way. Yeah. You know, it became perverted. You know, so so that's important to understand too. That there's a legitimate need. That I heard a, 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 an ex-homosexual say one time. He said he said he said homosexuality really has nothing to do with sex, mm. and it doesn't. He said it's all about emotion. It's an, it's an emotionally unmet need problem. Mm. It's not a sex problem. Sex is just a, a symptom, it's like of an expression, a, an expression probably. of a deeper of a mm. deeper issue. And that's what we all discover once we start digging. You know, we go, wait a minute, this is not even about sex. Mm. It's just um, I'm looking for something. You know, I'm trying to meet this need. Um, and when you're honest, you have to be very honest with yourself too. You can't lie to yourself about your relationship with your father or your, even there are even, I remember Oprah did a show years ago, um, but the audience was all men who were molested when they mm. were young, about wow. 200 men in the audience. And so they were dealing with, talking about how the men deal with all of that. And there was a guy on, he was, a, I think a, a, a psychiatrist and they, and they, obviously the, the issue came up about, does this produce homosexuality in men? And so. And so they come to the conclusion that no, it doesn't. It has nothing to do with that, you know. And what they said was, and when I heard him say this, I wanted to reach through the screen and choke the life out of him. But he said, you know, the guy that molested you, he, he knew already that you were gay. And so well, that's why he molested you. He already knew that you had these feelings. And so I was like, <laughs> I, well, like I said, Chris, I wanted to yeah, that's such a choke crazy the life out of him. They just, just to get rid of the... The the, uh, the the truth that molestation can cause homosexuality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was like, and I was thinking, how many of those men in the audience either are struggling, did struggle, 
and was hoping to get some answers here, and you just heard that. Yeah, yeah. And it's going to just, it's going to, yeah, it's really? going to push you right out. Oh, this is who I already am. Like, how you going to tell somebody that? Yeah. I was like, wow. Yeah. And that's what that's what they teach now. Okay, if, if you're like that, it has nothing to do with the molestation. That was wrong, and they need to be punished. But you, he knew you were already gay. Wow. I'm like, what? I said, that sounds like the devil. I said, that's straight from the pit of hell. Mm. Wow. So anyway, um, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what would you, any any helpful books you would recommend to somebody who might be struggling? Anything you've read recently? Any, uh, any authors you would point them to? Um, I just recently read Jackie O'Perry's book. It was really good. Um, good God, Gay Girl. Yes, Good God, Gay Girl. Um, there's one. I've seen, there's been so many years since I've read some of these books. I'm trying to remember them. One is called, Home, the best book I think I've ever read. It's called Homosexuality, A New Christian Ethic with a Question Mark by Dr. Elizabeth Moberly. Mm. And I don't even know if it's even available still. 52 pages, but it was the best book I've ever mm. read on the subject. Because she's, she's a psychologist and she okay. gets into the whole psychological aspect of it. But I couldn't put that book down, you know, because she just hit the nail on the donkey. Um, but that's one, Homosexuality, An Open Door by Colin Cook. Uh, How Jesus Heals the Homosexual by Andy Comiskey. Coming Out Straight by a guy named Richard Cohen. So those are four off the top of my head. Those um, are all books you've read. All books I've read. Helpful. Yeah, yeah, I've read. Have you read Holy Sexuality by Christopher Yang, I believe? No, I haven't. Okay. I, I, I've heard about that, but I haven't read it yet. Okay. I, I, I've, been, I've been wanting to read, um, um, is it Rebecca McLaughlin? Mm-hmm. She she is same sex attracted. Yeah, she's married. Yeah, 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 yeah. A yeah. man and has kids. Yeah, but there's a, wasn't there another woman who wrote a book. Um, Rosario Butterfield. But yes, yes, her book. I want. Yeah, I haven't read Secret it. Secret thoughts of yeah, an unlikely yeah, yeah, convert. Yeah, yeah. So I would recommend all of those. Um, Secret thoughts is really good. Really? Yeah, it's okay. excellent. I listen to it. She reads okay. it. Um, oh, okay. And, okay. and you know, she taught at RPT. I did. I did. Yeah. I did know that. Yeah. 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 There's many. I mean, if somebody wants to. Get in touch with me. There's still so many more resources I could. I could so if someone is hearing this and they do want to get in touch with you, email. Yeah, they can just email the church, okay. and um, and I can yeah leave their information or yeah, yeah if they want to do that. Yeah. Okay, great. Yeah, excellent. Yeah. So while we're while we're speaking of identity, uh, another major identity issue in the culture uh, is ethnicity, mm-hmm. and you and I have spoken about this many 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 times. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that for African Americans, identity seems to be more of a um, prevalent reality mm-hmm. than for white ethnicities. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, various whether you're Irish or German or you're English or Scottish or right. whatever. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think that is? Um, primarily, I would say because of our not knowing where we come from, being brought over here uh, in, in chains as slaves, and our identity uh, being stripped from us, and not knowing which tribe we came from, what country we came from. And so identity is huge because we, in a sense, don't know who we are. You can, you can trace your identity at least to a nation. You know, I'm Irish or I'm yeah, Scottish. I'm Irish, German. Or German, exactly. And most white people can do that, you yeah. know, okay. Even though, but I have no idea what country in Africa yeah. white people came from. So, J- Jones mm-hmm. would have probably been a slave holder's right. yeah. last name. Exactly. And yeah. that's where you got that 
family right. name. Do you know your line? Do you know grandparents, great-grandparents? I, my goodbye far as my great-grandparents on my mother's side. Okay. Um, I know they were from Rhine, Georgia. Okay. You know, my great-grandmother was born in 1886, but I'm in Rhine, Georgia, but that's as far back as I can go. Okay. So, so and most black people you know, have go back so far and then, you know, there's nothing. The records are lost. Yeah, the records are lost unless, you know, they do an ancestry or whatever. Right, or, right. Or the family, family over the years have, um, you know, told them something. But, um, so that's primarily why identity is such a big issue with the black people okay. in this country. And, and that's not a, nothing wrong with that. Okay. Um, you ought to want to know where you come from. Sure. So there's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I think when it can become a problem is when you grab onto the first thing that you feel defines you in a positive way. Mm. What do you mean by grab um, hold of? Whether it's a religion or a philosophy, an ideology that gives you a sense of identity, significance, and 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 um, yeah, a sense of identity, significance. Mm. You know, you'll grab onto it. Even if, even if it's not theologically accurate, okay. You know, we I see that we see it a lot with the Black Hebrew Israelites, yeah, the Nation sure. of Islam, um, five percenters. So in biblical terms, those would be cults, right? Uh, false religions. Um, what would you say to those groups who would say, "Well, you're you're in a false religion, Eddie. You're, you know, your Bible and your Christianity—that's." Mm-hmm. That's well, the, the question false. is, where does the evidence point to for truth? Mm. Um, is there evidence for the Bible being true? And this, this can get into one other conversation. I understand that. But um, <laughs> <laughs> like where's the evidence for the historical truth of the Bible and Jesus Christ as opposed to where's your historical evidence for where you got your stuff from? Mm. You know what I'm saying? Because a lot of times, um, you don't, when you're hungry for an identity— Almost anybody can tell you who you are. Mm. And evidence is not necessary. Because um, this, this gives me a sense of dignity and significance mm. and identity, whereas I, don't, I didn't find that in church. Mm. Not because it wasn't there. Maybe it was the church didn't teach that. Because the Bible deals with Absolutely. dignity, identity, and significance. Absolutely. Made in yeah. the image of God, that's reason enough to that's have significance. Page that's page one. <laughs> um, but that comes, you know, obviously through teaching and all yeah. that kind of stuff. Yep. And so, and so, when you don't feel like you've gotten that from the church or, or the Bible, you look somewhere else. And especially if it has um, a black label to it, mm. if it if it Open comes from up. if it comes from somebody who's black, mm. you know, uh, some black theologian or some black philosopher or or whatever, and they've done some research and some study and, and found out that. Melanin has power. Mm. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You know. Is so, that, are you exaggerating, or is that literally? No, no, no. There is a, a teaching out there where melanin is something that you know that I don't know. Maybe that's a, a wrong term to say that has power, but melanin is important. Mm. You know, and white people don't have it, so or not as much. You know, not as much, and so <laughs> therefore, you know. Yeah. Uh, and so you try to deal with, and then there's so many pages to this. And you try to deal with white supremacy over the years and the whitewashing of Christianity. Mm-hmm. That's a whole page of that as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so so and, real quick, let's, let's, let's deal with that just very quickly. Okay, all right. Um, white supremacy, which did have 
roots in the church, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, especially in Jim Crow South. And right. even, you know, I was just listening to Danny Aiken the other day. He's president of one of our seminaries. Mm-hmm. And he said that uh, he was in a, a Southern Baptist church and a, a gentleman came up. Well, gentleman might not be, that might be too <laughs> gracious and, and said, I don't believe in the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, and, and Danny Aiken said, he didn't think he heard him correctly. So he said, excuse me. And he said, I, I don't believe in the Holocaust. The Holocaust was made up by Jews to get sympathy all over the world. And, mm. and, and, and he said, I couldn't even talk to the man. I just turned around and walked away. And he said, he went to the pastor and he said, do you, do you know this man over here believes in, you know, this, that, and the other. And he's like, uh, yeah, I do. He said, he, he is a, I think he said a grand wizard in the KKK. Wow. And, and he's like, and, and he's a deacon. And here, I guess this pastor had just come there and found out that there's a bunch of KKK members really? as deacons in mm-hmm. the church. This is recently. Mm-hmm. So, like, this is still mm-hmm. this is oh, not yeah. ancient oh, yeah. history. This right, is exactly. still, going yeah. still going on in yeah. southern churches. Right, yeah. Maybe not so much in the north, but... Mm-hmm. So that's just one story. Yeah, I just that's heard just one story, yeah. Recently. So all that kind of stuff over, history, over, over time helps or doesn't help, <laughs> you know, um, black people to embrace Christianity or the Bible. And, and that's a whole even conversation right now that's going on in, 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 a, in, in black culture in certain circles of, the, of theology where you're, Christianity is a white man's religion. So it has to be dealt with. Yeah. You know, that's a common phrase that's believed oh yeah oh yeah yeah every black person has heard that yeah christianity is a white man well here you know if you would say that here in america yeah 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 exactly that's not that's not right exactly you're right yeah yeah but here in america is what i mean that's what i mean yeah yeah so and i think it was started by muhammad in the 60s i believe yeah uh so all of that comes all of that um uh adds to i want let me read something from rebecca mclaughlin this book i just finished called confronting christianity where she deals with tough questions that the people objections that people have apologize for objections people have uh to christianity but this this statement here when i read this i was like wow because i've heard this and i knew it was true but she says um if the dominant belief system places little value on your life a faith that elevates you to being a worth dying for a child of God becomes attractive. Say that again. If the dominant belief system, whatever that is, in America it would be Christianity for the most part. Okay. If the dominant belief system places little value on your life, mm. a faith that elevates you to being a worth dying for a child of God becomes attractive. And that's why these cults grab yes, people. Yes, because it gives them a sense of, I'm worth something. Dignity, I mean, value, dignity. Worth. Exactly, yeah, yeah. The nation of Islam gives them dignity, mm. gives them value. The, the black Hebrew Israelites give them dignity because, oh, you mean we're the original Jews? You mean yeah. we're God's chosen so, people? So don't, you don't have to go deep into it, but you know, I've, I've seen the black Hebrew Israelites mm-hmm. on the corners in various cities, not just here in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. Um, explain that, you know, because Egypt's in Africa mm-hmm. and the Jews were there under, you know, 400 years of, mm-hmm. of oppression under Pharaoh. And then they were liberated under Joseph. Mm-hmm. So w- very quickly, like mm-hmm. the, the five minute version, <laughs> uh, what is this? What is this belief system, and and why is it so attractive? Well, they believe their foundational verse is Deuteronomy chapter twenty-eight, verse sixty-eight, where um, God tells the children of Israel. Let me see if I can. I'll, I'll read it. I'll okay. read it. 
Deuteronomy chapter 28, verse 68. It says, The Lord will take you back in ships to Egypt by a route that I said you would never see again. There you will sell yourselves to your enemies as male and female slaves, but no one will buy you. Mm. So the That's Lord will judgment. take you back in ships to, to Egypt. So to them, Egypt is, is um, a metaphor for America. Mm. Yes, yes. They believe Egypt Meanwhile, is symbolic of America. That is speaking of I know. the Jewish. Okay. I know. <laughs> but they say that's, okay. yeah, um, that's, that means America. Um, and who else has come to America in ships other than black people? You know, there you will sell yourself to your enemies. We didn't sell ourselves, by the way, but anyway. So all these curses are, are applied to black people only. Mm. You know, that's their primary, that's their primary foundational verse. So everything springs from that. For the most part. So text taken out of context from the Bible. Yes. yes. It's is what they use. Root yeah. verses. Hmm. Yeah. And so we are, only blacks are the original uh, Israelites. That's what they call themselves. So black the 12 Israelites. tribes of Israel are various black. Yeah. And, so and now they have a, I don't, I don't, I'm not, I don't know a whole lot extensively about them. I've read some things on them and I'm learning as, as, as I go to other people who are much more versed on this sure. than me. Um, but they have a chart that they use. The shows where all the nations come yeah. from, you know, and the white people aren't there at all. So yeah. the white people are not anywhere. So, so, so that's attractive to black people to know that God chose me. It gives me a sense of identity and dignity and significance. And white people hid this from me all these years. Mm-hmm. And this is what's taught. And this is what's taught. You know, that's in the Bible, but that's not. They didn't. They didn't teach me that in mm-hmm. the Bible because they re, they redefine that. Oh, so the Jews over in here in America and the Jew, those are not real Jews. Mm. They're fake. They're fake Jews. I'm sorry. Look at Everyone likes your ring, man. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, so yeah, so that's why Christianity is white man's religion because of things like that. That's just one example. Yeah, and you um, said that the, the nation of Islam, Muhammad, yeah, um, yeah, um, maybe coined that phrase. Yeah. Jesus so why is that another dominant religion in African American communities? Because the same for the same reasons, a sense of identity. When you look at the nation of Islam, even going back to, to Malcolm X, the men are very polished, um, disciplined. You look at that, you'd be like, wow, man, you know, very attractive. You know, discipline. They protect their community. They protect women. They they teach you how to eat right, how to live right. They teach you the truth about who you are. You know, who wouldn't want that? Yeah. Whereas the church didn't do that. They think. They, you know what I'm saying? You know, church. So that's the now. Do they say that, or is that assumed? Do they say what? What you just said. Wait, does, does who say that? Is that an internal conversation, or are you saying from the outside looking in, that's what it looks like? Oh, no, that, that's, that's, that, that is what it is. I mean, they, they are. They're very disciplined. They're very, um, they teach all So all you're the, saying these factors are what attract. Yeah, what attracts, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, 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 and like I said, it give you a sense of identity and, and purpose. Mm. And, and they teach you the truth about who you are and the truth about America. And white America. And so they play off of your hurt. They play off of your lack of identity. Mm. Your, your lack of sense of... And that's why um, when, when the church... Because the church used to teach all that stuff to people. <sighs> Man, there's so much... The, the church got away from that. There's a time when the church got away from teaching that. Um, 
when when there's the whole time during the sharecroppers and and so Carl Ellis says there was a there's a, a church the church in the South had a, a theology of of, of 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 suffering and the church in the North had, had a theology of empowerment mm-hmm. because they had different experiences you know and so there was a time when the church um, had a, when during the time of the theology of suffering they got away from teaching about significance and identity and dignity and that opened the door for the we call the identity cults mm. such as the nation of islam the five percenters and the moors so it, it gave them an open door to come in and teach about identity which black people were hungry for and the church was and, not. and the church was not yeah and so that's a whole conversation even the black church, even the black church yeah, yeah yeah um but anyway, like I said, that's a whole conversation in itself, and there's a whole lot of information about that that goes on. But that's, 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 that's part of why those kind of things are attractive, okay. because the dominant culture um, didn't make them feel like they were worth dying for, like Jesus did. Um, so when these other religions, theolo- the- theologies come along and tell you that, if you're hungry, yeah. you'll eat whoever feeds you. Mm. You'll eat whoever feeds you. Mm. And that's what happened. And that's where we are. And that's why those kind of things like Christianity's white men's religion have to be dealt with. And so that's why the young black boys don't want to go to church. You know, that's white man's religion. Yeah. You know. That I've I've I have heard that um, often, but if you don't have a lot of experience doing um, maybe witnessing or, or apologetics or outreach. I was doing hip hop. Mm-hmm. So I think that you, you, you might hear that and, and you're like, really, do people really ask that? Uh, and the answer is, or, or say that. Mm-hmm. And, and the answer is, yes, they do. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. do say that. It's pretty common. It's, oh, yeah, pretty, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's a pretty strong and wide held belief. And it's gotten popularity since social media has, with social media especially, it's gotten popularity. Facebook, Instagram, it's, over the past few years, it's become very popular. Mm. With memes in particular, they don't do so much. <laughs> the memes so much, you don't see so much anymore because I, 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 I was hearing some uh, black theologians talk about um, uh, why they don't do the memes anymore because uh, black Christians learned how to uh, do apologetics mm. and, and destroy the meme. So you don't see a lot of memes anymore like you did a few years ago. But it was through memes and Facebook posts and ex-pastors coming out um, who 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 um, denounced Christianity and they were pastors mm. and said, so, you know, I've studied this and this is a lie and you know Jesus never existed and they're like and they're like, oh my God, this guy was a pastor, so you know he knew what he was talking about. Yeah. So all all that kind of stuff comes out and you're like, oh boy, okay. So the black church has to confront that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and so you have to do apologetics to deal with that kind of stuff. And so that's what a lot of black churches are doing now, yeah, because um, it's so important. So is it you? you your context is important. You know, white churches don't have to worry about that. You know, hearing... Because you're not doing that apologetic. Right, yeah, exactly. Yeah, you don't need to, you know. Right. Um, if I go to Fox Chapel, I need to I have, have a different apologetic than when I go to Homewood. Yeah. You know. Yeah, you're going to be dealing with, with different deal, issues. Different issues, yeah. Mm-hmm. Some the same, but a lot different. Mm-hmm. But a lot different, so. Um, so you and I... Uh, met in 2003 mm-hmm. and it was through hip hop. Mm-hmm. Uh, hip hop is one of those interestingly unifying elements yes, is, yeah. in, in yeah. culture, mm-hmm. music in general, but music in general, but hip hop, I think, yeah, it really has. Yeah. Uh, and, and the expression of hip hop that, um, I think we were 
connecting through was was a more four elements hip hop. You had the the MC, the rapper, mm-hmm. you had the DJ, uh, you had the the break dancers, and you had the graffiti artists, the graffiti mm-hmm. writers. Those mm-hmm. four elements. Um, you you were more into the the MCs and the rappers. Mm-hmm. I think that was kind of your associations. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I had on my team more actually of the graffiti writers mm-hmm. and, and DJs uh, and ironically ended up, you know, writing and, and doing albums. But you and I met through right. uh, uh, an interesting story that I think would be cool for you to tell. <laughs> you guys were promoting, you and, and Kareem and, and Dana mm-hmm. were promoting a, um, a show, yeah. Pittsburgh Shine in 2003, which right, Tim yeah. Brendel was going to be the lead you know, the headliner. Yeah, yeah. Um, and we were at Moreauville Family Bookstore, and uh, they used to let us come in and, and DJ and uh, play music, and that's what we were doing. And um, so, yeah, we, we were doing that, and, and, and you walk in. <laughs> and and we, were, we were playing uh, music and DJing, and, um, and you asked if you could, if you could rap and spit a few bars or whatever. And we said, yeah, sure, go ahead. Which and surprised that, which, me. <laughs> which, give me a microphone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But from what I understand, your mother called and told you that we were there. Yeah, my yeah. mom was over buying some books or something. She's yeah. like, they're rapping in the Christian bookstore. I was like, <laughs> She's like, yeah, there's turntables and everything. I was like, what? <laughs> yeah. So I drove I couldn't believe they let us do that. But yeah, yeah that Chuck was the manager. He used to always let us do that. But anyway, so yeah, so we, that's how we met. Uh, we met um, when you came up and, 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 uh, it became a part of what we were doing, mm-hmm. and um, it was right. Be- it was before you and Megan got married, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like yeah. very shortly before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was yeah. 2003. We got married in July, July okay. 19th of 2003. Okay. So it had to be within those first. Your seven anniversary, months. July 19th. Yeah. Oh, that's my parents' anniversary. Yeah. Look yeah. at that. <laughs> yep. And my sister's planning on getting married that day. No way. On that day, yeah. yeah. Sweet man. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it had to be within those first seven months. I think it was. I remember being warm outside because yeah, it was, I remember yeah. us going out yeah. to my trunk because I used mm-hmm. to sell yeah, yep. Christian hip hop CDs, CDs and clothes. Me, yeah, yeah. You know, we had a t-shirt yeah. company, right? Yeah, and I remember busting out you know some of that merchandise and showing you guys. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah, out in the parking lot. Yeah. I was just amazed that other people in the city were doing hip hop. Yeah. I had no idea. I thought I was the only one. Mm-hmm. And uh, here, there's a whole community. Yeah, of people doing this, I was just shocked. Right. Yeah, yeah, and um, I don't know if I think we may have exchanged numbers that day. Actually, I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we kept because I started buying CDs from you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and so we just kept in touch over the years. Yeah, over the years because um, like I said, I I, I would uh buy CDs off of you and just call and say hello and see what was up. Yeah. And so we became friends we over the years. We would see each other at we different each other shows. Different events. Yeah. Like, hey, what's yeah. up? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And we just stayed in touch over the years, and then uh. When I left the church I was at um, in 2010, I believe it was, um, I knew you had a Bible study from just, just keeping in touch with you over the years. I knew you had started a Bible study. Mm-hmm. And so I wasn't going to a, a church. Well, yeah, I wasn't a member of church I left. So I, I would visit on Sunday morning, but I said, you know, I think I want to check out Chris's Bible study, you know. Um, at the time I was doing through Romans on Wednesday right. night, verse by verse. Was it Wednesday or Monday? Both. Yeah, you were doing both. Yeah, I think I would come to the mon- Monday nights. Yeah. Yeah. I would come to the Monday night Bible study at um, Panera Bread, Panera Bread or, yeah. or Starbucks. Yeah. And, yeah. and so I started coming to your Bible study and I um, liked what I was hearing. I was like, hmm, you know, I wonder what Chris is going to do with this, you know. And I, you know, I knew you were at your church and you were an elder. And um, so I didn't thought maybe you're just going to branch out maybe um, and just continue the Bible study or whatever. And so anyway, we went to lunch. And um, and I just asked you what you 
I planned on doing with the Bible study because I liked it. And, and then you gave me your story. You thought that God was calling you to, to plant a church. And I didn't, I wasn't expecting you to say that. <laughs> I didn't know that's what you had planned on doing. And I was like, oh, really? Okay. And, uh, and so I said, okay, well, you know, I just like to help out in any way I can, you know, if you don't mind. You know, I like, I like the way you teach and, and um, I like to just help out. I'm not part of a church right now, you know, um, so I like to help you out in any way I can. And that's really how, all I said and yeah. how I started. That's and you gave me your story. That's the short version. You and you broke down the you know, how you thought it was going to pan out, you know, yeah. and what you thought God was doing. And and um, that was probably 2000, what 10, 11? Yeah, 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 yeah. It was, yeah, yeah. And and you then began coming to yeah, and I, yeah, Alliance yeah. Because I wasn't. Uh, I just left the church. I didn't have a church home. And so I just said, well, if, if Chris and I are going to be working together and going to his Bible study, um, I'll probably I'll just join his church, you know, because I liked, I liked the church anyway. I was coming yeah. regularly on Sunday mornings. And I said, I like the church there. I like the people there. I like the teaching. And it just kind of made sense. I said, if we're going to be working together, it's kind of makes sense for me to be where he is. And so, so I just decided to join uh, Pinot's Alliance Church, you know. And I, I believe that was God's will, obviously, mm-hmm. too. You know, so and that's what I and did. You became you know, an elder there. Became an elder Very. there, and you and I pray, prayed every Tuesday night for two years about yeah, the church plant. Yeah. yeah, yeah, we prayed, and um, yeah, yeah, and uh, after what about four years, you mm-hmm. felt like it was time to yeah. yeah, time to yeah. What what was happening was for those who don't know the context, um, we were exploring the call and we wanted God to make it very, very right. clear. Yeah. Yeah. And so one of the things that Megan and I said was, all right, we're getting all these, uh, prayers answered very specifically about God calling us to do so. Mm-hmm. But what we said was, we're not going to take any action on this until we get a green light from Acts 29. So we started their assessment process, right. which is very massive. I think mm-hmm. it took a year for me to complete it. Mm-hmm. And, and once we did that interview and they gave a green light, uh, and I remember asking that assessment team, uh, they, were, they were like, yeah, we, we do think you should plant a church. And I was like, all right, well, when, when should we start? And they were like, well, I think you should start immediately. Mm. And it was like, oh, okay. So Megan and I talked about that, and you and I had been praying for right, probably yeah. two years now. Mm-hmm. And we took that as God giving us a green light mm-hmm. to, to go. And I think I remember that week I started making plans to start losing responsibility at the, mm-hmm. at the Penn Hills Alliance church. And we started, I believe meeting on Sunday nights with a mm-hmm. core group. Yeah, we did. Yeah. 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 Sunday. Yeah. It was Sunday night. Yeah. With a core group. Yeah. The people who were coming to the Bible study. Yeah. 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 We just gr- gathered a, a small group and we told them what was going on. We tried to tell them to keep it quiet and, right, yeah. um, because we weren't ready to, to go public with right, that information. Right, yeah. And we started to train on, on Sunday nights, a core mm-hmm. group of people. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that was probably what, 2012, 13? Yeah. Yeah. Of course we, we branched out in 14. So yeah. 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 Around 12, 13. Yeah. Yeah. That's that crazy. Was, I know. That is. That is. And yeah. we, we launched the church uh, July of 2014. July of 2014. We did a baptism yeah. service yeah. in the... Uh, in the Allegheny River. Yeah, man. That dirty, filthy... Yeah, it was mud-filled. <laughs> mud up to your knees. It was, <laughs> it was like, fun, though. I had to throw my clothes away when yeah. we were done. It was yeah. crazy. Your yeah. shoes are just <laughs> trash. Like, this is disgusting. Yeah. And, <laughs> and so what we said was we had five, four identities or core commitments right, that right, we were yeah. going to... to 
base the ministry on. It was mm-hmm. challenging and training men to lead sacrificially. Mm-hmm. It was uh, making disciples who make disciples. Mm-hmm. It was unifying peoples. Mm-hmm. And then it was planting church, planting churches. Right, yeah, yeah. And and last year we added a fifth, added a fifth yeah. uh, training women for ministry, yeah. equipping women for ministry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I think that the one that has caused much grief and controversy has been the unifying people's one, uh, especially because I think since 2014, maybe 2014 into 15, the culture has like exploded oh, yeah. as far as oh, yeah. what, what is called so-called race relations, mm-hmm. uh, what we would call ethnic tensions. I think, mm-hmm. you know, you and I are on the same page that mm-hmm. there's one race, the human race. Right. And so keeping in line with that theological you know, Paul said in Acts 17, from one man, he made every nation of men. So we believe all men and women can be traced back to one man. And woman. Right. Therefore, mm-hmm. there's one race, the human race. Right. So we want, we want to use the language of ethnicities to right. be more biblically accurate. But I get what the culture yeah, means yeah, when it says yeah. different races. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't and the, the term that was created, but that's Yeah, it, it yeah. comes from Darwin. Yeah. And, and yeah, absolutely. So anyway, why do you think it, it has been such a hot and and debated and you know i've heard many stories of churches who were trying to do so-called racial reconciliation ministry or Mm -hmm. trying to unify you know different ethnicities especially black and white culture Mm -hmm. it it blowing up so many times Mm -hmm. Uh, why do you think that is especially recently like within the last five years we'll say why there's such a tension yeah yeah uh, well, at least for me, it's, it's much more prevalent and noticeable oh, yeah, definitely within is, the yeah. last five years than it's ever been. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. I think one of the reasons are the shootings, a lot of the shootings that have happened over the past five, okay. six years or so. I think that's probably the biggest reason is the shootings, um, of unarmed black men in, in, in the country. That's, 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 that's probably one of the main things. Just what we've experienced with. Yeah. Um, yeah, with um, Ahmaud Arbery, yeah, 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 those kind of things, and because of social media, that kind of thing being seen now, it's been going on for years, but now because of phones and social media, you can actually see it, you know, and so I think that's probably the one of the biggest reasons that it's become so tense in the country, you know. With you think race. because there's footage and because everybody can express yeah. their opinion ex- with social exactly. media, exactly, okay. yeah, yeah, and you know when everybody has an opinion, you know that can get, <laughs> as you see, yeah, yeah. so. So that's I would say that's one of the main reasons, and and the fact that it's visible now, and black people have been complaining about it for years without any um, response, I'll say, um, and now that it can be seen, um, yeah, now that it can be seen, and 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 there's still. An attitude of lax, a lackadaisical attitude, and this is a whole other conversation. There's so many. The, fa- the way some white people respond to what they see doesn't help. Mm. As if they still don't believe us. We've been saying yeah. it for years, and now you're seeing it, and you still don't believe us. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of that comes into play. And there's many layers to that you know there's so many layers to that you know um so i would say that that's that's a big a huge part of it okay yeah so so just summarizing what you've said there Mm -hmm. you would say that because there's now 
public footage that has gone viral over and over and over again within mm-hmm. the last five years. Mm-hmm. And then the commenting and the responding and the sides taken. Right. And the yes, t- yes, yes, yes. Because, like, yeah, because uh, people can, can voice their concerns or their opinions and their views, and that just gets crazy mm. because on both sides. Because, yeah, black, white, well, up and until everything not in between. that long ago, the only people that could express opinions were those being interviewed on news mm-hmm. or writing in newspapers right, yeah. or having yeah. a pulpit, if you will. Mm-hmm. There, it mm-hmm. wasn't as easy wasn't to as easy, yeah. put out your specific personal right. view and opinion. Right, exactly. Up until 2000, exactly, yeah. well, 12, right? It was when Facebook came out. Uh Somewhere around there, yeah. Was I it? I think so. Was it? Okay, it's only been eight I mean, years. We could look it up, but yeah. yeah but anyway, I, I know it hasn't been that long. But yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah. Now that that's available, along with Instagram and and, and, that's and Twitter, even newer. and those that's are even newer. And those are exactly and, that's, and those things are even newer. So yeah. So with all of that, yeah, everybody's a expert. <laughs> Everybody has an opinion, you know. And when your opinion is different than mine, and and. And I can say what I want from across the world in a tweet or a post, you know, it just gets crazy. So it's uh, just a quick Google search is Mm -hmm. saying 2004 it was founded. However, I wonder when it went when it went public, founded by Zuckerberg. Yeah, you know, because I think I've been on Facebook for 10 years. Really? I think. So that would make it like 2010. Okay. I could be wrong, but maybe it hasn't been that long. The, 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 the Facebook.com, the site was an instant hit. It looks like 2010. Okay, okay, all right. But it was founded in, in 2004. 2004. Yeah. Okay, yeah. okay, we need, we, right. need a, we need a third fact checker person on okay. Google. <laughs> just you and I here. Yeah. So anyway, I, I would agree with you that like it, it's kind of crazy that... You know, you can sit on a bus or sit on your couch or, you know, sit at a red light and just throw something out there to the world and uh, and and not expect tension. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. And and so in ministry that that poses some difficulties, because if we're trying to unify people, um, you want to be considerate of various and wide opinions, mm-hmm. even in your own people that you have charge for, if you're an elder or a pastor, or even if you're not an elder or pastor, you're, you're a member, mm-hmm. um, you know that in your church, if it's multi-ethnic and multicultural, there's going to be varied opinions mm-hmm. on every mm-hmm. issue that comes out, whether it's a political campaign or the president or a, the latest you know thing that happened with a, a shooting or whatever, you know, whatever happens. Yeah. Um, you know, so any, any helpful navigation that you could offer in terms of, cause our core commitment is to unify people. Mm-hmm. And I think that we have for good reason found it the most challenging because well, one in the culture that it's just further tribalizing. Mm-hmm. It's not unifying. It's, yeah. I, I think it's dividing further and further mm-hmm. and further mm-hmm. And so to come into the church, um, it, 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 it can be very challenging mm-hmm. to, to unify. Um, one of the things that I think we have found helpful, you could push back on this if you mm-hmm. don't agree, was to hammer that identity is in Christ, not in any other factor. Mm-hmm. 
whether it's ethnicity or your income or where you live or your background, you know, your, your primary identity, which touches on what we started with, is found in Jesus Christ if you're a Christian. And even if you're not a Christian, it's found in the Imago Dei in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. I think that's one of the, the drums that we've hammered for the last five years. Mm-hmm. And we have found success mm-hmm. in that kind of strategy or method, if you yeah. will. Yeah. Though it's true. It's not just oh, yeah. a strategy. No, it's no, not it's just true. a yeah, method. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I think up up until very recently, the the lines were not clearly drawn around like what was now now called uh, critical theory mm-hmm. and 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 cultural Marxism is what it's mm-hmm. also been called. Um, you know, and just recently, Carl Ellis even is saying like, look, this critical theory is not helpful. It's not going to unify. It's, it's going to further divide and it's going to implode on itself. Um, where we've said, okay, we're not going to use critical theory as a tool for reconciliation. We are going to use the gospel as our reconciliation method. Uh, it's more than a reconciliation method. It's, it's the good news, but there, there is a, it's a different tool than critical theory. Mm-hmm. Do you agree with that? Oh, yeah, yeah. So how is the gospel unifying when it comes to unifying peoples? Well, it's unifying because it puts everybody on the same level. Mm. You know, it puts everybody on the same level. Nobody is supreme. The Bible says Christ is supreme. Amen. So there's no white supremacy, no black supremacy. It puts everybody on the same level. When I trace, if I trace my identity back to some specific land, whether it's Africa or Asia or Europe or wherever, if I would trace it back to some particular physical land, I limit myself. Mm. But if I trace my identity back to God himself, that puts me on equal par with any man. Yeah, it's good. It puts me on equal par with any man. So I can trace my identity back to Africa, but if I stop there, I, I limit myself. Yeah. Because, okay, so what? You know, you trace yours back to Europe. Okay, so it's yeah. land. Okay. You know, my land has some, may have some, some soil, some gold. Okay, all right. So my land may be richer than yours, but so what? Right. You know, but do I put my identity in that? You know, but if I trace my identity back to God himself, yeah. that puts me on equal par with yeah. any man. And, and as you're saying that, it just dawned on me again. It's not like it's the first time I thought this, but how satanic, right, to say, mm-hmm. You know, go after this lesser thing mm-hmm. and find yeah. your sense, sense of, of self purpose there. and identity. Yeah, yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. And that's what people do. But if you're like I said, if you're hungry for yeah. that, that'll satisfy you. Yeah. It's like a pacifier. Mm. A baby is satisfied with a pacifier for a while, but eventually you're gonna want some real milk. They mm. want some real food. You know. Um, but yeah, you you find your identity is all these other things. You know, um, and they never satisfy. They're not gonna make you happy. They may for a while, but eventually you're gonna to have to find something else yeah. to be satisfied in, and you can only that can only be Christ Himself. That's only in the gospel, and so um, the gospel is the answer. I mean, it, Ephesians two, you know, um, He has made all all of us one, one man. Mm-hmm. You know, Acts seventeen one from one race. Two. Yeah. So, um, and that's huge. Now we need to. I think one of the we need to learn how to make practical what we already are positionally, you know, um, positionally, we're already reconciled. We don't need to, now how do we live that out? And that's why I think the struggle is us living out Ephesians 2.14 practically. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that requires us sitting down, getting in each other's face, talking, being Mm -hmm. honest with each Mm -hmm. other. um, And we don't like to do that. Yeah. You and I have had these conversations mm-hmm. many, many, many times. Even yeah. publicly, we've had mm-hmm. these conversations. Yeah, yeah, and on panels. panels yeah. Uh-huh. yeah, 
So th- this isn't the first time you and I have talked about this. Right. Um, one of the things that you and I said at the beginning when we said, look, one of our core commitments is going to be unifying peoples. What we used to say then was like, look, we're going to have these awkward conversations mm-hmm. over and over and over until they're not awkward anymore. Right. And yeah. they just become <laughs> uh, part no, of our yeah. normal rhythm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that at least, at least we could say in, in leadership circles, uh, we, I think we've achieved that where mm-hmm. it, it doesn't feel weird to right, talk right. about. It, yeah. do, it doesn't feel out of place. It doesn't feel like, oh, I'm in danger if I say something around mm-hmm. Eddie that, that might not be right on with where, you know, the culture mm-hmm. is at. Um, and I've even said to you, like, if I say something that's off, tell me, like, mm-hmm. just right. don't, yeah. don't let it be off and you just internally, uh, be upset. Tell me if I'm, I'm an idiot, right, please. Right, yeah. And, and we've had that kind of relationship. Mm-hmm. So in that sense of like, all right, you said we have to become practically what we are positionally. The, the best way to understand that I think is we are righteous in Christ, mm-hmm. but we live unrighteously mm-hmm. yet. Mm-hmm. We are becoming right. what we are positionally. Right. You're mm-hmm. saying in the same way, same way, we are reconciled to every other Christian. Because Jesus is that right. one who brings us into the body. Mm-hmm. There's one body, right? That's Ephesians right. 4. Body, yep. One body, mm-hmm. one spirit, one baptism. Mm-hmm. Uh, so how how practically can we begin to be unified, which we already are positionally? I mean, I this is an effort even here now, mm-hmm. you know, but, but give us some practical help here. Well, it starts with conversation, I think, and okay. being honest, being very honest. Um, when difficult topics need to be discussed, whether it's a shooting or whatever, something political or whatever, when it's a difficult, not to run from that and not to go to our respective corners and, and talk with people who agree with us about the other, other side who doesn't agree with us, you know. Um, so I think having honest conversations... Um, and being very honest about how we feel and what we think is, 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 is huge and very important. Um, and understanding that we might, are not going to always agree. We may not agree, and that's fine. Mm. You know, when there's, um, when there's something that I may perceive as a black man that somebody says, is ra- if I think it's racist, I need to say that. What you just said, bro, was very racist, mm. and here's why. And be, and be able to do that without the other person just going off and saying, oh, my God, it's always about race, blah, 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 blah. Okay, okay, respect my feelings. Respect where I'm at. Understand that we come from two very different experiences in America. When you're part of the dominant culture, you're going to have a different experience than those in the subdominant culture for the most part. And just understand, there's nothing wrong or racist about that. That's just reality. Yeah, it's just the way it is. You know, it's just the way it is. Yeah. You know, understand that. And understand that if I'm seeing something different than you, okay, why? Why does Eddie see this differently? Why does Chris see this differently than me? Okay, why can't you see this, bro? Why can't you see this? So those kind of conversations that need to be had without getting tired of talking about it. I mean, I think we're all tired of talking about it to some degree or another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think black and white, I think we're all just tired of talking about it. You know, but it's not going to go away because we get tired of talking about yeah. it. You know, so I think those kind of things need to happen. Um, sit down and say, listen, we're going to talk about this. It's going to get tense in here. You know, um, it's okay to raise your voice. Be respectful. Love your brother. Love your sister. Yeah. You know, um, you're probably going to disagree on some, on some areas. 
but let's hash that out and walk out of here um, as one, still living out, seeking to live out Ephesians 2.14 practically, you know. Um, So I think it starts with those kind of things. So is that, is what you just said there possible? Oh, it's definitely possible. The question is, are we willing? Mm. Are we willing to do that? And and I don't like confrontation. I don't. I try, I try to avoid it at all costs. Yeah, I'm a non-confrontational. But person. but confrontation is necessary. Yeah. You know, and like, it's not always bad. And it's not always bad. You know, we think it is because we don't like it, but it's not yeah. always bad. How, um, how do we avoid um, becoming tribal? Like try having a tribe is okay. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we recently said, uh, even as elders, we have, you know, elder chats, mm-hmm. uh, you know, threads and mm-hmm. whatnot. And, and we've even said that it's helpful to have a tribe, but not be tribal. Mm-hmm. Like, how do we not be tribal? Like, it's okay to have your, you know, opinion and your mm-hmm. kind of flavor and mm-hmm. your, yeah. but being tribal is like, okay, we're going to war with other tribes yeah, yeah. and, and you, defeat and conquer and. Yeah. And that's what you can't do. You know, you can't, you can't go into your respective corner with your little group and and um, social distance yourself from the other side. <laughs> Which is the law, right? <laughs> Which is the law, social distancing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, in the name of whatever, you know, especially biblically, you just can't do that. You know, the Bible doesn't give you any license to do that. Yeah. You know, um, if you're out against your brother, go to your brother, not to go to your tribe. Mm. Like go to your race, go to your so brother. Matthew eighteen, you would say applies in this case. If if your brother offends you, go to your brother. Go to your brother. If your sister yeah. offends you, go to your sister. Go, exactly. Talk to them yeah. In person and private. Yeah. 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 Seek counsel if you need to, but um. Why is that so hard to do? Ugh. It is very much easier to go and like you said, <clears throat> like you said earlier, find people who agree with you mm-hmm. and just talk about your offense or your grievance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why is it so much easier? Than to just go to the person in private and have a conversation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot. I I think there's more than one reason for that. It could be be you you don't care about the other person's opinion. You know, you don't even care. Um, So you're not going to go if you don't care what they think. Um, So that that could be one. You don't care. Um, You don't want to be shown that you may be wrong. Mm. You know, you want you just you just want to be right. You know, and, and that's all that matters is that you're right. And you don't want somebody to point out that ah, you could be wrong here, bro. You know, um, so for fear of being um, shown wrong. So there's, uh, there could be several reasons for that, you know, but we can't avoid it. We can't allow those reasons to keep us from. It, we need to be. The Bible talks about um, esteeming others better than yourself mm-hmm. and those kind of language like, wow, and esteem too. others. Yeah, better than yourself. And. Don't just look on your own needs, but also on the needs of others, you know, and that's not just a, 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 a material need. What if it's a, an emotional need, mm-hmm. you know, a psychological need, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, how are you doing? How are you handling this shooting, this latest shooting? Mm-hmm. You know, how does that make you feel as a black man in America? That's important. Yeah. You know, um, forget about you know, what happened, whether it was racially involved or not. The question, how do you feel right now? You know, that's important. You know, just saying, how you doing? You know, um, I know this just happened again, but, you know, what's going yeah. on? How, what can I do to help? You Let know? me open that up a little more. I, you know, I so appreciated um, Justin's sermon, not this last week, but the previous week. Mm-hmm. And he talked about casting your your cares on mm-hmm. God and unburdening yourself and resting. It was mm-hmm. a Sabbath message, right? So he was saying, mm-hmm. rest 
your troubles, your worries, your yeah, anxieties, yeah. your fears in God. And he had mentioned that, you know, he goes jogging and that he could see himself in that situation. Like mm, that could have been mm-hmm, him is basically mm-hmm. what he was saying. Yeah, yeah. And so he said that he had to take that fear, that sense of, wow, that could be me. What does that mean for me? Like, what if I'm jogging? And, and so that anxiety that that produces, he said that he had to apply that Sabbath principle of, you know, resting that worry. Right, that anxiety. Right, yeah. I so appreciated that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I'm curious if that was um, the other way around. Mm-hmm. I don't think that most it could be a dominant culture thing. Mm-hmm. They, I, I would, I'm not sure I would see myself in the shoes. Mm-hmm. of the guy who got shot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think, I don't know because that mm-hmm. didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. why do you think that is that like, it's so easy to see yourself there, whether it's, you know, uh, footage of, of any situation, mm-hmm. you know, the one I've used in the past was the, um, Stephen Paddocks, I believe was the guy who did the Las Vegas shooting, the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah. St- yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, up in the yeah. window and he's got right. all these AKs or whatever. He's automatic assault weapons and he's just gunning down the crowd. Mm-hmm. And, and he's white and most of the people he shot were white. Uh, and, and, and it never crossed my mind. Mm-hmm. I see myself here or what does this say about white people? It just doesn't, mm-hmm. that doesn't yeah, register yeah, yeah, at right. all. Yeah. So try to help maybe those who are like me and, and, and it's hard to understand how you see yourself in that individual, mm-hmm. in that situation, that mm-hmm. causes you anxiety, imagining mm-hmm. this could be my son, my daughter, you know, me. Yeah. Help us. Historically, in America, there was a time when that was very common, what you saw with Ahmad Arbery was very common. White men chasing down a black man for an accusation, you know, oh, he, he whistled at a white woman. Or... Um, he looked at the right woman, or he talked back to this white man. And so they go chase him down and lynch him, mm-hmm. you know, without any trial, without any, mm-hmm. you know. So when you see that, this man that they thought did something, mm-hmm. you know, two guys who are not policemen, mm-hmm. just chase him down in a pickup truck, stop in the middle of the road, um, and kill him. Um, that just brings up... 1920, mm. and it was in Georgia. You can't, the, the place where it happened, all of that comes into play. You can't take an Idaho incident and look at it the same way in a Georgia incident. Mm. You know what I'm because saying? Of because of the history. Because of the history. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, so that's why we can see ourselves there because there was a time when that was common, and, and white men got away with that all the time. Mm. You know, so we ask ourselves, well, what's different today? You know, of course, there's, there's um, details with all of that. But when you look at two white men hunting down a black man uh, who's jogging and stop in the middle of the road with shotguns, get out their truck and try to make a citizen's arrest or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, and he ends up dead. And they cover it up for three months. The only reason it gets exposed because the video is leaked. Yeah. You know, if not, they, they, nobody would never hear yeah. about this. I didn't hear about it. Yeah, video exactly. Leaked. Nobody heard about it. So that's why you can relate. We can relate to that because it happened mm. to us. Happened. In happened the past. to us in the past. Yeah. And and so we're saying, okay, 
is this still 1920 or is this 2020? You know what I'm saying? Why is it still happening in 2020? Mm-hmm. You know, how can this, how can they hide this for three months in 2020? So those kind of things that, that's what I mean, the different experiences in the country, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah, yeah. There's a long history that is behind much of what we see as tension. Mm, oh, there is, and yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people don't see that historical aspect yeah, and leading up to that's where That's why at. we need to talk and have conversations. Because maybe a lot of white people are, are either not aware, I don't know, I mean, it's, like I do is Google stuff. I mean, it's not, and that's another thing where you, they, a lot of white people come across as if they don't know this history. You know, um, and I understand that and at the same time, let me say this. I'm not saying that we're still living in 1920. Yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of things have changed. And, and I read something today. I read something today that was so good. Um, and, and, the, and, the, and it was related to the Ahmaud Arbery incident. And she was trying to explain, trying to get white people to understand um, the emotions of black people during times like this. And she says, like a funeral procession. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, white people will stop in their cars, let their funeral procession go by. And they'll say things like, man, this is so sad. How could this happen? This is horrible, you know. And black people are in their cars with their tears and their and their funeral programs and and so on and so forth. And and and, and white people will say, okay, well, okay, um, how she, how she put it, um, she she said, it's, the attitude is, okay, celebrate the progress, stop crying, and move on. This is not 1920 anymore. Okay, we've come a long way. Celebrate that. Cry, and let's move on. You know what I'm saying? You know, can you imagine that kind of um, attitude and image? It's like, it's almost like you don't care. You're in your car saying, oh, this is a shame, and blah, blah, blah. But, okay, let's move on. Let's hurry up and get past this. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You know, um, so because of the history, there's a difference there, you know. And um, I think there are some things that, that um, white people need to understand about the emotions black people experience during certain times and certain incidents. Um, and it doesn't mean, uh, not, not calling you racist, it's just understand some, well, why uh, some things are the way they are. Understand the anger. A, a Facebook friend of mine posted something recently concerning this incident. She was talking to white people primarily. She said, I want to talk to my white brothers and sisters. And she said, um, and she got to the point where she said, uh, you, and you may ask me, what do I do with my frustration? White people may ask, what do I do with my frustration about everything being racial? And I'm paraphrasing about everything being racial and about race. She said, you take your frustration to the same place I take my anger to the cross. Mm, that's good. Yeah. You take it to the cross like I take my anger. Yeah. You know, same it's basically thing, what yeah. Justin said. Yeah. And the same thing with Justin said. Yeah. 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 Because yeah, yeah. both of us have emotions we're experiencing. And, I, and I'm, not, I'm not downplaying white people's emotions at all. Those yeah. are important too. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I'm not saying they're not important. Um, but we need to understand each other's emotions why? rather than why they are there. Why they are there. Why they are there. Instead of making accusations. And, and, and yeah. so that's why I say conversation is very important. Yeah. Uh, that's very important. Yeah. And um, it's not helpful, I think, to tell people uh, how you should feel about something. Mm-hmm. It, it's not helpful at all. At all. At all. Yeah. That's not helpful at all. Don't, even if you disagree, but understand, you know, have, have some, have a heart, <laughs> basically. Have a heart. Even if you think, okay, I think they're exaggerating. Maybe, maybe this is, okay, all right, fine. But yeah. 
you know. Yeah. Come ask me why. Come ask me why, you know. Why are you hurting so much over this? Why you don't even know that guy? Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, and, and genuinely, it is a, uh, you know, honestly, it's a mystery to a lot of people. Oh, I'm sure uh, it is, yeah. and, and I think it is a dominant culture thing mm-hmm. because you, you don't, you see the news and there's stories that you don't identify. So here's another example. Um, I'm not going to name this brother in our church, but he and I were having a conversation mm-hmm. and and I was trying to tell him, I said, look, white people don't identify with each other in the same way that, you know, black people identify with each mm-hmm. other. And and I said, and I gave him some illustrations. One of the ones was the Stephen Paddock's one. And, and I said, you know, if, if, a, if a white guy does something really stupid, I don't immediately then say, oh, you're making us look bad, man. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. I, I just don't think that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and he said to me something pretty profound. He said, you know, man, I, I carry with me all the time the consciousness that I'm a black man. He's like, when I open the door for people, I know that I'm representing black people. Mm-hmm. When I'm driving down the street, I'm representing black people. Mm-hmm. And, and white people just don't no, think yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We're, I don't know, other than maybe when I was in Africa, <laughs> do, do I think <laughs> yeah. I'm representing what? And I don't even, I don't even yeah, think yeah, I thought yeah, it there. Yeah, I get it. But yeah, when, yeah, when, yeah. And, and I think it is a dominant culture thing. Yeah, like, yeah, I've, yeah, just, yeah. I've just yeah. never imagined myself. And that's myself. not wrong. Right. I'm just trying to yeah. ex- help people understand yeah, yeah. we're coming from two, two very different, different places. places. Yeah. And we then take our experience and then overlay it over someone else's reactions. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, like you said earlier, we experience the world in very, very different mm-hmm. ways. Mm-hmm. And even black, all black people don't even think the same or don't even experience right. yeah, the same. Right, yeah, you're not speaking yeah. for all. Yeah, 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 right. yeah. Some black people may not, uh, yeah, we don't all think the same and respond the same either. Right. You know, um, but there is a difference, you know. Some things we do experience as a people together. We do. And I think that's just the way it is because of our experience in this country, you know. Um, I remember growing up, and this is not so much anymore, but I remember growing up <laughs> on television. You know, when you saw black people on television, that was a big deal. Mm. You know, um, and especially if you saw them, the Jeffersons were the first black family who were well off on television. Mm. You know, um, it, wasn't, it wasn't the Cosby show. It was the Jeffersons. They were upper middle class. You know, he 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 was a businessman. He owned seven cleaning stores, mm-hmm. and they were they were very, they were rich. They were upper middle class, so they were the first ones. You know, um, and actually, how that show came about, and I don't know if I didn't know this until um, Norman Lear, who, who who did all the shows back in the day, um, All in the Family, Good Times, uh, the Jeffersons. Um, how that show came about, he had done uh, All in the Family, he had did Good Times, which was a poor black family in Chicago. You know, okay. um, and he said the Black Panthers came to him. And, and ask him, why is it the black people always have to be poor, hmm. you know, when you do a TV show? Why, why isn't it? And he didn't, hadn't thought about that, you know. And they, I don't say challenged him or they just confronted him about that. And so he decided to do The Jeffersons, hmm. the show where there was a wealthy, well-to-do black family. But it, was, it was because he had a conversation with the Black Panthers, hmm. you know. Um, so, but, 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 but that was huge, you know, that's why it's on moving on up, you know, yeah, moving yeah. on up to the east side, you know, we're, we're getting out of the ghetto, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, 
But even with a game show, when it was a game show that was on, when there was a black contestant on the game show, that was huge. We always wanted them to win. Mm. When it was on a family feud or the price is right, yeah. there's a black family on the family feud. You know, we're going to root for them. You know? yeah, yeah. Because we know they need the money. You know? <laughs> you know? <laughs> because it, was, you know, it wasn't common. Yeah, you know? yeah. It's common now to see black people on television. Right. But back then it wasn't. Yeah. So, so we related to them. It's like, oh, man, we're on television. You know, yeah. you know blacks on TV tonight, y'all. Blacks on TV. <laughs> you know? So, so that was huge, yeah. you know. I, I remember one of the first times this dawned on me. I was watching Netflix, um, and it was it was black and white. So this shows you how old this film was. And it was um, Walt Disney played himself, hmm. and he was touring his own studio, but he was not playing. You know, just playing hmm. a guy, hmm. and he would be on the run from security guards and he would go into different rooms where they were doing, you know, the sounds for the cartoons mm-hmm. or the drawings. And, and literally he went into room after room after room after room. And you could tell it was old because it was, it was black and white. And, and it dawned on me at some point, I was like, where are the black people? Mm-hmm. There wasn't one working there. There wasn't one. Wow. I was like, what is going on? And, and and though I knew that, mm-hmm. it that was a, a, a revelatory moment for me where I was like, huh, not one black person working at Disney. Mm-hmm. Like, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was the norm was the for norm. Mm-hmm. That time. a whole generation yeah. or yeah. more. I mean, yeah. many more <clears throat> generations. When you're the dominant culture, you have to... When you're, when you're the dominant culture and you're in, in power in the dominant culture... And you're in, in quote unquote control of what happens for, for the most part. For lack of, you have to make a conscious effort to be aware of the subdominant cultures. And I don't think it's because when you when you're the dominant culture, you just do what the dominant What's culture normal. does. It's normal, yeah. 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 And so, and especially when you start out with ninety five percent, everybody looks just like you, mm-hmm. you know. And then when other cultures start coming in little by little, and then you realize, wait a minute, there's like. 15% of these type of people and 15% of these and you start seeing subdominant cultures come in you have to make a conscious effort to to quote unquote serve them too mm-hmm. and not just uh, serve the people that look like you mm-hmm. and you have to make a conscious effort to do that you may, and it may not you may not see that immediately now, I don't know if Walt you recognize that but you don't need to see that immediately like wait a minute you know we have more black people here than now we got Asians here now we got Puerto Ricans here we got Indians Okay, and the same thing with the church. The same thing with the church. Um, if you're a predominantly white church, and all of a sudden you get some other cultures, you see some blacks coming in, and some Indians, Puerto Ricans. Okay, uh, how can we minister to them and serve them too? Are we are we are we just expecting them to just uh, do what we do and just assimilate into our culture? You know what I'm saying? I do. Or um, can we also consciously make an effort to, to do some things that will that's not part of our culture, whether it's musically or whatever it may be? Mm-hmm. Um, you have to consciously make an effort to do that and not just say, okay, well, and not just like, because assimilation is not reconciliation. You know, just because there's blacks in your church and they're coming, um, 
and you're just satisfied with that. Mm. Oh, we got we're a multiracial church. We got blacks and but okay, all right, cool. Um, are their needs being addressed? Are their concerns are being addressed? Whatever that may be. For example, um, with this shooting, um, are you concerned about how the blacks in your church feel about the shooting just happened? Have you talked to anyone about that, or are you mm-hmm. just? You know what I'm saying? I'm not saying you got to address every racial right. it's not issue. Like everything that happens needs a sermon. Right, needs it's a not sermon. Wrong to do a sermon. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, have you made a call and say how you doing? Yeah. Or, or bet, uh, another question might be: Do you realize that this does bother? Yes, my do, brothers. And do sisters? you exactly? Do you realize they may feel differently than the most people in your congregation do about this? Yeah. Have you thought about that? And those are those are questions that I think help yeah. and, and 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 need to be asked because um, it's a part about it's all about I think um, loving your neighbor, uh, caring for your flock mm-hmm. um, or your city, <laughs> whatever the case may be, mm-hmm. you know. So so I think when you're the dominant culture, you have to make a conscious effort to do that. Mm-hmm. You know, you can't just expect it to happen. Mm-hmm. You have to make a conscious effort to do that. Yeah, it's really it's really helpful, man. Um, I, I think that, uh, having honest and open conversations, um, it it could be as simple as like, Hey, how are you guys processing this? Right. Like what's Mm -hmm. going on internally? Mm -hmm. You know, just tell me what's been on your thoughts recently Mm -hmm. and, and listen, like that's really helpful. It shows you care. Uh, I know one of the ladies groups was having one of their, you know, ladies meet weekly now in different groups for their Mm -hmm. women's equipment. Yeah. And, uh, and, and the, it, it was a concern, you mm-hmm. know, it's like, look, I'm bothered by this. I, I, I'm troubled. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so asking good questions and then caring for the person, right, yeah, praying yeah. like it, ease anxiety, ease fear, you know, and, and not, I, I think it's not helpful and I'm not saying anyone's doing this, but I'm just going to mm-hmm. point out, it's not helpful to try to tell people why they shouldn't be afraid or why they shouldn't be concerned right. or why yeah. they shouldn't feel the way they feel or, right. you know, yeah. it's not helpful to do that not it's not helpful to, to yeah. say well you shouldn't feel like that because and yeah. then have several reasons why right. it doesn't apply to you or and don't uh, assume that you're going to know how they feel they might agree with you it's true this you is, don't yeah. know that you haven't talked to yeah, you don't so, assume I, say, I'm, I don't want to, I'm not going to ask because I think I know how they feel so I'm not even going to ask yeah. and I don't want to get in that conversation wrong attitude Yeah. so uh, a good question is how are you processing this yeah how exactly how are you processing yeah. this yeah. I, I have a friend you know you just said that The uh, I, I have a friend who is not white and, uh, and he agrees most often with uh, what we would say is like a conservative position mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and, and it surprises me sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like huh and, and yeah, so it's not helpful either to just assume, assume. by mm-hmm. looking at someone, you know mm-hmm. where they're at on a certain issue. Mm-hmm. It's helpful to say, how are you doing? Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So as you care. Treat, that's all, yeah. yeah. Treat people yeah. like individuals. And they may not even want to talk. They may say, yeah, I really don't want to talk about yeah, that That's okay. fine. Yeah. You, okay, you cool. Showed just you know, exactly. Just want to let you know I'm here if you need to talk. Yeah. I just, you, you showed know, you care. I care about, you know, that's all. Yeah. 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 And those are, these are little steps, you know, these are little things you and I have done panels about this. Mm -hmm. You and I have spoken on the radio many times about this very thing. And, and so, and and we'll talk about it again, specifically on this podcast, but I wanted to, since you and I are here, Mm -hmm. this has been a, uh, an important feature of eternal city church from, from before its inception, Mm -hmm. we said, 
we're going to be about this. And we haven't always been successful. We haven't always got it right. Yeah. We have failed. Struggles. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. And, and, and I think that you, you know, to use a common phrase, you fail forward and you Mm -hmm. learn from your mistakes and you, you don't give up and you don't say this is a hopeless cause. And Mm -hmm. you don't say, and just like you, you said earlier, the gospel unifies us. Mm -hmm. And now we have to practice the, the identity that we are declared to be. We are one. Mm Mm-hmm. And then, so Paul will say, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Right, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So be eager is an attitude thing mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to maintain mm-hmm. the unity of the spirit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In other words, it's going to be work. Yeah, because yeah, it sounds like work. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It yeah it's not going to happen by osmosis. Yeah, exactly. We're not yeah. going to drift into unity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's helpful to realize. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it would be great if we could just without addressing it, without ever saying anything, be unified mm-hmm. and us be... But that's just, that's not the reality. That's not reality. Yeah, you don't, we don't do it with anything else. You and right. your wife are one, positionally. Are you one practically? Often not. Often not. Do, yeah. <laughs> you, have to, you have to maintain that. You got to show yeah. A lot of marriage counseling. Yeah, yeah. And, and my wife and I, being married, um, you know, 17 years, 18 years, um, We've had many, many mm-hmm. tussles yeah, yeah. that we've had to work through. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah it's just it, human nature. It's yeah, just man. reality. Yeah, same so thing it, with race. It's, yeah. yeah, it's helpful to transfer yeah. that that illustration over in right. any relationship. In any relationship, yeah. Mm-hmm. Even the right. most intimate where God says you are now one flesh. Mm-hmm. You have to work out if issues and right. differences. And, and, and if you don't, it's going to fall apart. It's going to fall apart, exactly. you got to work know, at why, it. Yeah. Why do we believe that unity should be easy in a fallen world. Mm. We, we are headed to yeah, yeah. drifting. Perfect unity. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. We're, we're headed there where yeah. it's not going to be the work it is. Right, now. exactly. Yeah. But yeah. it's helpful yeah. to just realize that it will be work. And right. so to come in with that expectation, we're not going to give up when it's work. Right, exactly. When it's yeah. hard, when it's yeah. a struggle, yeah. when it's a wrestle. Yeah, I remember, who was it? Um, I think it might have been Crawford Loretz. Or I think it was either him or his or son Brian, but they were talking about um, it's kind of along these lines. And when it gets tough, we wanna we wanna leave. We feel like okay, God is calling me to leave. He said no, He's not calling you to leave. It's just hard right here. You know, no, you don't leave. You don't bail. It's just hard right here in this spot. And we say and we fight and we struggle and we wrestle right here. You're not going. You're not supposed to go anywhere. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes we can use that as an excuse because we don't want to fight. Oh, I think God's calling me to leave. No, 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 he's not. No, it's just hard right here. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so let's stay here and let's fight this out, you know, mm. whatever that may be, you know. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Um, brother, I thank you so much um, for our conversation here, for the friendship over the years. Yeah, man. For us wrestling through highs yeah. and lows of church planning. Yeah, yeah. You know, there were weeks where we came in and like you and I and maybe four or five other people <laughs> and we were like, all right, are we going to do this again next week? <laughs> like, are we, are we really going to keep trying to do this? Right, yeah. um, and, and meanwhile, six years later, yeah, almost man, six years. In almost. July, yeah. yeah, July of, of 20. Yeah, this year. 20 will be yeah. six years amazing and god has been very gracious to yes, us to yes, yes, to yeah. help us to fulfill our missions and our mm-hmm. goals and our aims and mm-hmm. and uh so I, I appreciate the the soldiering with me man it's, <laughs> it's been really man I, I've, I've enjoyed it I, I i um yeah it's been sometimes fun you know <laughs> sometimes but not. You know, sometimes <laughs> not you know 
Um, but I wouldn't want to do it with anybody else. I thank God I appreciate for you. That, I thank God for yeah. you. And I'm, I'm glad uh, glad you're in this with me. Thanks, man. Yeah. And I appreciate you doing this yeah. doing this podcast and yeah. telling everybody your story. Yeah. Is there anything you would want to tell anybody um, before we say goodnight here? Um, I don't know. About just anything we've about talked anything? about. Yeah. Um, yeah um, we can't allow the culture to to infiltrate the church. Mm. What I mean by that is the culture bring their um, ideologies, their philosophies about God, about life, about sex, about men, about women, about relationships. We can't allow that. We have to stick with, with, with Scripture, what God says. Um, and for anybody who, who has a family member who's struggling with homosexuality, or they're struggling themselves, um, understand that there's a reason you're mm-hmm. struggling. You weren't born like that. Um, uh, there's a root that you need to get to. And it's not going to be easy. Um, uh, you're going to cry a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's going to be hard. But God's going to be in the midst of it with you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. Mm-hmm. Um, and just trust Him. Trust Him. Uh, talk to somebody. Talk to people. Um, so that's what I would say. That's what I would say. That's good, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks, bro. You're welcome. Love you. Love you too. All right. Yeah.